Hello and welcome to another edition of your favorite kind to first news analysis program, The Big Issue. My name is Duke Mentor, sitting in uh, for your regular host, Godfrey Akoto Buaf. Of course, it's been a week uh, where there's been a lot of discussion regarding the acquisition of a new presidential jet. Is it a priority at this time? Uh, what do you make of the debate of the national security considerations with regards to the traveling of the president vis-a-vis uh, the analysis of a country recovering in a post-COVID uh, pandemic era. There's also the matter of the IDRA unrest. After the committee concluded um, its work and um, presented its report to the Minister for, the, for Interior, Ambrose Derry, that's the Ministerial Committee report, uh, finally this week, the Justice Kumsin Committee released its report. It's been a matter uh, hot issue for discussion all across platforms in this country. We're doing a dissection for you uh, on the program uh, this evening. Of course, they've been living with us under the ages of the United Nations High Commission on Refugees. That's the uh, Budumburam refugee camp. This week, there was uh, some work there by the Gumwa uh, District Assembly, Gumwa East District Assembly, uh, with regards to the evacuation of citizens and refugees from that area. That's also another issue which we'll be discussing on the program, The Big Issue. The show is live and interactive. You can join us via the WhatsApp line 0549986996. And on TV later on, uh, you can join us also with your comments on 0550585832. We'll take a break here. When I come back, we'll give you a fair idea of the issues that we'll be discussing via the news reports this morning. We'll be back after the break. Stay with us. Yo, welcome back from the break. This is the big issue. And uh, just to get you in uh, with regards to uh, sending in your messages, uh, the number to send your message to on radio, uh, 0549986996 on TV, 0550585832. So what is this issue? The Boha had the discussions about the uh, presidential jet. Uh, now, government has initiated processes to acquire a new and bigger presidential jet. The Minister for Defense, Dominic Nitti, was handling the processes and is suspected to announce details later on. The Director of Communications at the Presidency, Eugene Ahin, gave the hint at a press briefing at the Jubilee House on Monday. But the minority in parliament says it will resist all attempts by the Akufuado administration to purchase a bigger presidential jet for the country. The ranking member on the Foreign Affairs Committee, Samuel Lukujetua Blakwa, said the move will never be backed by the minority when it is presented to the House for approval. Mr. Blackwell also indicated that he's seeking to file another urgent question on the cost of the, of the president's recent trip to the U.S. Let's hear Director of Communications at the presidency, Eugene Ahin, on the matter. The president's trips abroad have raised eyebrows after accusations from long-term NP Samokuja to Ablakwa that the president flies like Zero's private jets in his travels. The NDC MP claims that Ghanaian taxpayer pays $14,000 an hour when the president travels in these luxurious aircraft. In a recent post on Facebook, Mr. Blackwa alleged that President Akufado hired a Boeing LXDIO private jet operated by Global Jet Luxembourg. Though the Jubilee House will not confirm or deny if the president travels on high jets for his trips outside the country, Director of Communications of the President's UGI says government, through the Minister of Defense, Dominic Mitio, has begun processes to buy a new presidential jet 
for the country. You would, you would recollect that um, when the government of President John Ejukunkufo left office in 2008, it had procured two jets, the current um, Falcon and then a bigger Embraer, if I'm not mistaken. And for, for one reason or another, the bigger jet was cancelled and we were left with this particular one here. Um, I, don't, I don't know what I mean. Obviously, it would have made much more economic sense to keep the bigger one because obviously when that happens, when you're traveling with your delegation, and as you know, you don't have to send media people ahead of time. All of you can just go um, at a go. Saves cost and everything. But well, it has happened, and you collect that the Minister for Defense um, has made it clear that government has decided to um, buy a bigger jet to save us from all these um, um, troubles. I, I I wouldn't want to go into um, details. I'm sure when the Minister for Defense um, has the opportunity to um, give further information as to what government is doing with respect to that, I'm sure um, he'll do that. But I know for a fact that, yes, as he has rightly indicated, government is already in the process of acquiring a bigger jet for use. So that's uh, Eugene Ahin, Director of Communications at the Presidency. Uh, but the uh, ranking member on the Foreign Affairs Committee, Samuel Okujeto Ablakwa, has actually been making further um, allegations, including the um, fact or his assertion that the um, president, the presidential jet currently uh, was recently given out to the uh, president of Liberia, George Weir, on some trips across um, the sub-region. And the statement that was released um, has been released uh, by the Minister for Ministry of Foreign Affairs to uh, counter the claims that are being made by Samuel Kujetua Ablakwa and to read uh, portions of the statement that has been released, uh, was released late earlier in the week. The Ministry of Foreign Affairs has noted with concern the recent comments by the Honorable Samuel Kujetua Ablakwa and ranking member for the Parliamentary Affairs Committee on on um, foreign affairs on the use of Ghana's presidential jet by the president of Liberia. In the latest of such utterances, the Honorable Samuel Kujota Ablakwa sought to suggest that transporting the president of Liberia, His Excellency George Weir, uh, ab ab aboard Ghana's presidential jet to participate in the emergency equal summit during the recent political crisis in Guinea constituted an impropriety. Nothing could be further from the truth. It is common knowledge that as part of the bilateral and multilateral diplomatic relations, various friendly states provide assistance of different forms to each other. That Ghanaian leaders have in the past been transported to different parts of the world on the presidential aircraft of other states. It must be emphasized that the practice of sharing travel resources among West African heads of state and high-ranking officials is not a recent phenomenon. Indeed, in the past, some heads of state have in their capacity as chair of ECOWAS extended this courtesy. It's a matter of public record that during his tenure, former Nigerian president Olusegun Obasanjo used to offer President Kofu a ride aboard the Nigerian pres presidential jet to regional summits. In view of the many threats to peace and stability in the region, Ghana has found it beneficial to our national interest to lend state equipment for the promotion of peace and security in neighboring countries. This proactive strategy undergirds the tenets of Ghana's foreign policy, which includes good neighborliness, commitment to regional integration, mutual assistance, and the practical facilitation of African unity. Given the instability faced currently by some neighboring states, Ghana's prudent facilitation of the participation of West African leaders in the emergency summit held in Accra is reasonable investment, which yields an incalculable dividend of continued peace and stability 
in our nation. In the wake of the recent political crisis in Guinea, the President of Ghana, His Excellency Nanandan Kwekufuado, in his capacity as chair of ECOWAS, not only convened an emergency summit of ECOWAS heads of state, but also facilitated the travel of some of his colleagues heads of state to and from Accra. This included President Julius Madabi of Sierra Leone, President George Weah of Liberia, and President Umaru Sisoko Mbalo of Guinea-Bissau, and other important stakeholders in the Guinea polit geopolitical situation. This gesture went a long way to ensure the participation of almost all heads of state in the sub-region, though the notice for emergency meeting was very short. In an era where Ghana's leadership and citizenry are championing renewal of Pan-Africanism across the continent and the diaspora with the free trade taking off under the AFCTA, Honorable Akujetua Blackwell's insular posture comes from comes as a surprise to the ministry. Indeed, our remit for regional integration remains a vital part of Africa's urgent quest for unity. This we find any thus we find any suggestion by the Honorable Okujetua Blackwa that the government of Ghana's foreign policy initiatives which foster Africa unity are irrelevant rather and rather strange. The Ministry of Foreign Affairs and Regional Integration does not share this position and wishes to note that Ghana has since independence hosted and displayed very warm hospitality and provided support to our brothers and sisters on the continent and continues to host migrants and provide support to our brothers and sisters on the continent and continues to host migrants from all over the sub-region. Our record speaks for itself. For instance, President Nkrumah is known to have supported Guinea with 10 million pounds in his time of need and provided Ghanaian passports to Africans involved in the liberation struggle to enable them overcome immigration restrictions imposed on them. In the light of the strenuous and concerted efforts by ECOWAS leaders to broker peace in the region, the ministry finds it rather unfortunate that Honorable Kujeto Ablaka would seek deliberately to muddy the waters with these comments. Moreover, the expectation that Ghana as chair would build the president of Liberia, Sierra Leone, and Guinea while on a trip to participate in an emergency ECOWAS summit reveals an astonishing lack of understanding of the goodwill, camaraderie, and cooperation which exist among ECOWAS heads of state. The ministry therefore wishes to assure the good people of Ghana that the government of Ghana is not on a quest to dissipate one to state's resources but is focused on pursuing a pragmatic foreign policy which fosters regional integration and good neighborliness in a climate of peace and stability. This ultimately inures to the benefit of Ghana and West Africa at large. Furthermore, the government of Ghana is committed to the noble objectives of African Union and will spare no effort in working towards a peaceful, prosperous, and truly united Africa. So that, that, that rounds up the issue with regards to the uh, acquisition of a new presidential jet. Let me introduce uh, the guests who would help us through the discussion. Uh, in studio, I have um, Nanayao Nchakwa, who is a private legal practitioner and an aviation hobbyist. Right. He'll be telling us what an, an aviation hobbyist does. You're welcome, sir. Thank you. I'll also be joined by, uh, it's no stranger to this program into this set, mm -hmm. uh, the executive director of the Human Rights and Governance Center and private legal practitioner, Mr. Martin Pibble. You're welcome. Thank you, Duke. Yes, and on Zoom we have, um, I don't want to use the word regular source, but he's always with us, a regular guest, uh, Franklin Kujo, uh, President of Humani Africa, and uh, Peter Tobu, who is Member of Parliament for Wild West, former police officer, member of the Defence and Interior Committee of Parliament. So let's begin the discussion in the studio uh, with um, Nanaya Chakwa. Yeah. I, I read um, your article. Yeah, read your article very 
um, detailed in terms of the historical context of the number of presidential jets that we've had and the, 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 the worth, the worth of the kind presidential jet that, that we have. First of all, I want to find out from you from a technical perspective what you make of the ongoing debate about whether we need to acquire a presidential jet or not. Well, I believe the ongoing debate uh, is a good one. Okay. Uh, there are questions um, that require answers. So um, there's no harm in informing the public as to the details of running the presidential, presidential jet. Uh, so long as we take a bipartisan approach or a non-partisan approach, I believe uh, it will be a good discourse. Those are my views. But in terms of the current jets that we have, and you, you chronicled the kind of accident or aviation incidents that have taken place over a period of time, yes. which also seems to be the argument that government, government is making. Does that justify the quest for government to want to purchase a new jet? I believe the, the reasons so far is not mainly, it's not only based on uh, incidents okay. on board the aircraft. Uh, like any other machine, uh, various incidents take place. Now, in my article, I recorded at least three incidents in 2010, in 2015, 2014. I believe there are probably more. But those of us who even travel on commercial airlines, we go through this experience. So I believe that alone is not the reason why we are looking at a presidential, a new presidential jet. There are other reasons like security, safety, you know, and uh, those are all legitimate. The other discussion about the cost is also a legitimate discussion. As a nation, we need to determine whether we are ready now to purchase a presidential, another presidential jet. Um, the current one is a Falcon 900EX, and uh, it takes about 12 people without the crew. And uh, in my article, I, my conclusion was that it is recommended for domestic travel and intra-regional travel. This article was written as far back as 2018, and that was the position I took. My position has not changed today. There are several reasons. Um, personally, I have traveled across the Atlantic. I know the difference, or I've experienced the difference between flying economy and uh, first class. I've experienced the difference between flying on a small aircraft and a big aircraft. There are plus and minuses in this, and we have to weigh all of this in coming to that decision. All right. I'll come to you uh, for, for, for other perspectives on the issue, but let me bring in Gloria um, Martin people mm -hmm. in this, this issue about whether we need to acquire a new presidential jet. The, in response to questions filed by the ranking member on the Foreign Affairs Committee, uh, Samuel Kujetua Blakwa, in Parliament, the Defence Minister provided some form of a security and defence justification for why the country needs to purchase 
a bigger presidential jet. That is, uh, the, currently, the, the country currently spends so much money on so many other things, uh, peace, ferrying peace uh, keepers, mm. peace, peace, uh, peacekeepers across mm. um, various war zones, which we have to, which has, which has to be paid for. And that he was making the argument that if you get a bigger aircraft, it can be redesigned. It can be what he, what what he he termed as a strategic mm -hmm. airline or a strategic fit, which can be configured differently at various times mm -hmm. to serve so many other purposes, mm -hmm. without it necessarily being reserved as the presidential agenda. That was the argument that he made on the floor of parliament. Subsequently, questions of course have also uh, come up. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm just laying this premise to find out from mm -hmm. you. What your own views, mm -hmm. first as a citizen, yeah. is on the matter, and how this matter can be can, can be resolved. Okay, right. So I like the way you put it. As a citizen, so <laughs> I don't have expertise in aviation, and <laughs> don't pretend to have a hobby like uh, Leonard Council. Yes. So I mean, I'm sure having appeared on this show uh, a number of times. I'm sure viewers can uh, predict, uh, listeners will predict that this guy will say, oh, we don't need it at this time, right? Yes, that's how it started, okay? Because uh, as soon as I heard it, I was like, wow, is that what we need at this time? Is that the real priority? But what's happened is that right now I'm in a state of flux, uh, especially as you reminded me about the defense minister's uh, statement that it can be used by uh, armed forces. Uh, you know, because we do a lot of the peacekeeping, so if we can save money, okay. So because of that singular fact, right now I'm more open to it. But you see, what has happened is that they didn't handle it well. Okay. They didn't handle this whole matter well. It's been very poorly communicated. We don't do that, you see. So if the president knew that they want to buy a bigger aircraft, he shouldn't have started those uh, luxurious private uh, travels, wanting to bath in the air. And you know, it's stuck with us as citizens. We are like, wow. So is that what Mr. President thinks? He wants to watch movies in the air. He wants to bath in the air. You see, as soon as you do that, anything else you bring subsequently, it's difficult to justify. It's been very poorly dealt with. Sometimes you're like, ah, but I thought from one issue to the other, we'll learn that communication is key. If you knew that you want this thing done, start the conversation early. Don't wait and engage in some very profligate this uh, uh, and travels, you spend that hoop, uh, hooping sum of money on a private luxurious jet, and then citizens complain before subsequently it turns out that, oh, we, we should actually buy a new one. How? It, it, it just shows that I'm like, I mean, this looks very inept, very, very, very incompetent. I can't believe it. No, you have your facts. And government has all the uh, you know, resources available to drive the agenda. They could call you guys, do a press conference. Oh, this is our presidential jet. Uh, it's no longer, you won't say fit for purpose, but because of the angle that the soldiers can benefit and everything, we think that on those bases, let's buy a new one. So you start. You start the agenda. You don't become reactionary. You see it? You yeah. don't. You don't. So they've just bungled everything. It's a shame. I'm like, wow, this thing looks easy. I don't know how they could have just sat down and I mean, just messed it up. So now it's difficult for us to get out of this bathing in the air, taking a shower and watching movies too, accepting that, oh, it's really good for us as a country since long term we'll be saving money. 
Yes, we'll be saving money. So it's more like it's going to be business because you know the armed forces when they go for the peacekeeping, the UN pays and all that. So if you look at it from the way the defense minister narrated it, it means that in no time we'll recover the cost. Okay. So for me, to that extent, I believe we should open our minds. Yeah, they've made a terrible mistake about it, but well, that's life. We just hope that next time they should just learn. They should learn from this mistake. Communication is key. It's essential. What about those who argue that the, the, the minority's position, and we've, the country has been at this point in time before. I think in the, in the run-up to the 2008 election, there was similar argument about the decision of the then government to purchase two, two, uh, two jets, which is what, I mean, at the end of the day in 2010, the bigger one was rejected. What we have currently is, a, is for want of a better word, the fruit of the discussions that pertained at the time and the decision of the Mills government to cancel that. How, how do we balance the skills of having to provide security for the president vis-a-vis mm -hmm. -vis our economic state as a country? Yeah, so you see, this thing, the, this is where the, uh, we should strike the balance. As I've said, to the extent that this same aircraft, the bigger one they intend to buy, will be available to the armed forces, and so we can recover the money. Please, let's go for it. So for that one, to, to be sure that we are not being deceived as citizens, then let the uh, committee, okay, the defense and, uh, is it defense and intelligence, or uh, yeah, the committee in parliament, then they should allow some of the CSUs, as we see Nanaya is developed some skills, at least being a hobbyist, a money, and the rest. Those who, want, uh, who are showing a keen interest in it, let's get a sneak preview okay. of what's, what really the figures are. You know, because when it's defense, you know, there's often this catch-all phrase that, hey, we don't discuss security matters in public. That's not true. I'm sure two days ago, did you hear General uh, Miller and the others testifying in Congress, <laughs> telling us how the situation was in, uh, this in Afghanistan and the mistakes they made in the U.S., the pullout from Afghanistan, you see. So those things have long been thrown out that we don't discuss security and defense matters in public. Please, let's go in. So give citizens, the CSOs and the minorities, sneak preview of the actual figures. Let's interrogate that really the military will be able to use the aircraft and that we can recover. If we can recover the money, please, I think we should go for it because we are going to make money. So why not? Okay. And I'll come back to you Thanks. on the same, I mean, the division on the debate mm -hmm. about national security and economic considerations and the justification that have been provided before by the defense minister on the, how a, a, a bigger jet can be used for different things. Yeah. So we, we can look at the history of presidential jets in Ghana. Um, the DH, that's the Havilland 125, was acquired for President Nkrumah. And uh, from that time to the Falcon 900, we've had four presidential jets, different eras. It is instructive to note that even though they were acquired and used in different eras, they were, they were maintained. It shows that there is a need for a presidential jet, if you look at just the history. Okay. Otherwise, then we will not be even purchasing a presidential jet. If you hear former presidents, those who have flown commercial and on the presidential jet, different political parties, different eras, they come to the conclusion that the nation needs 
a presidential jet for its president. So, in my mind, there is no doubt that we require a presidential jet. The question is, is, at this point in time, when we have one, or when we already have one, should we purchase another one? We've had arguments from both sides. The issue, of course, the issue of security. I think that if we can purchase a multi-purpose jet, which can be used for our security, and not only for the, the Air Force, in the event of a, na a natural disaster, the police can even call on the Air Force to carry troops from, let's say, Accra to Tamale, shorten the time, travel time to 45 minutes, rather than maybe 12, 13 hours if they are going by road. So if we have a multi-purpose jet, I think it will strike the balance for all of us. Okay. Let me go on Zoom now and uh, engage Franklin Kujo on this issue. Good morning, Franklin. Good morning to you, my good friend, and uh, my lawyer, as well as the gentleman yeah. who speaks excellently on these matters as well. And then um, Mr. Peter Tobu, Honorable Peter Tobu, I must greet everybody and everybody listening. Mm -hmm. This is an interesting conversation, isn't it? I mean, are we being told that the reason for buying a, a presidential jet is because it must have multi-purpose use, um, that the military could also borrow it, or some people could also borrow it, or maybe I could also borrow it um, and use it as well. Let's 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 not let's not uh, let's not combine too many things into the conversation. The question has a reason: Is the current presidential jet not fit for purpose? Has it been maintained properly? Um, and I think Honorable Blackwell's point, which I think the Ministry of Foreign Affairs misses sadly, is that if the plane is good and is fit for the con 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 for conveying no mean less uh, no mean persons like the presidents of neighboring countries, and I'm happy the ministry has also added that the plane indeed uh, ferried um, other other presidents within the sub region. So it means that the plane is very good for, for is fit for purpose. I think this whole conversation started because a question was asked: Is the current plane that we use not fit for purpose? Now, all of a sudden, we are introducing other dynamics like the size to carry delegations, and then uh, all sorts of things. I don't understand what we are discussing. The conversation is simple. The the, the, the real conversation was about. The proprietary, sorry, the, the the security, if you like, the safety of the current plane that we have. We can get into the economics, and I understand when the ministry says that sometimes you don't have to, you have to, you, you may know the cost of everything, but the value of nothing. Essentially, that's what they're saying because there are considerations of peace and all of that. I am only asking simple questions: Is the current plane not fit for purpose? Can it not be used to travel to other countries or other uh, for other assignments? And if the if it is the case, then I don't think we're having any. Um, I don't think the next conversation or the next line of thinking should be we are going to buy a big gadget. Let's deal with the substantive matters first. Is the plane fit for purpose? If it is not, 
then we can move into saying, okay, we want to buy a new jet. You see, most of these concerns have arisen because we don't trust our politicians when it comes to purchasing very expensive items. You recall during the, was it President Mohammed's time or so, or Mills' time, the purchase of the Brazilian uh, Embraer and all of that. The reasons people were raising suspicions were simply because we did not trust the procurement process that had gone on. So we cannot end this debate by saying, oh, we are in the process of buying a big gadget. Big gadget for what? To carry more people to some meaningless conferences or what? I mean, if Martin, people made the point about full disclosure and bringing in yeah. CSO, civil society groups, apart from the uh, bipartisan well, nature this, this see, they, should, uh, they should propose, would that in any way uh, broaden the scope of the debate and bring mm -hmm. in others to maybe, I mean, sharpen all the rough edges mm -hmm. if indeed we think that that is what we need as a country? Including he, frankly. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm not an aviation expert, but I truly know that uh, we've had We've toyed with these whole conversations around having a national career. Okay. As if by itself, pride alone makes economic sense. When in actual fact, most of the economics show that it doesn't make sense to own a national career right now because other countries are, who even have more fleets <laughs> are suffering. Okay. Um, if you don't take care, and I totally agree with uh, uh, Martin, by the way, that we should broaden the conversation. And we should not use the 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 the, the, the issue of security uh, as a camouflage not to have these conversations. I think it's important. If it is the case that other people can borrow planes to go and do assignments, well, if it is the case that we want to go to some other jurisdictions to go and uh, undertake certain important functions, well, the president could also write on the commercially. I don't see any problem with that as well. I mean, I, I, it's not every trip. You see, the, 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 what we want to prevent is that a president wakes up, has a plane at his back and call, and can just, just get on it and run, go around the world as if uh, it's a private, uh, what's it called, uh, plane. The most important thing is, are we asking questions about the propriety, sorry, the economic um, rationale for some of these trips as well? I think it's important we do that and, 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 and for me, the conversation really should have been, is the current plane fit for purpose? And I think Honorable Blocker has been vindicated that the plane is fit for purpose. Otherwise, why would you rent it? Not necessarily rent, but in the, in the, in the spirit of Pan-Africanism, as the foreign ministry says, they loan the plane to other presidents for crucial meetings. It's not only peace that matters to us. It's also the economic wherewithal. So if we are going to purchase a plane simply because we want to encourage uh, liberalness and peaceful coexistence, then I'm not too sure we are making any headway. It's the suspicions around all of this that makes it difficult to trust the process. If Ablaco had not raised these issues about the luxurious nature of this, I don't even mind about I don't I don't care about the luxury, whether the president wants to bath in the air or not, I don't care. My problem is did they disclose that the president was going to go on a trip this uh, and because of the current nature of the uh, of the plane that we have uh, then the president decided that you definitely use uh, 
uh, what's it called, uh, private means to do that. So that's that's my opening com 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 comments about this. It's in the same league of having a national career. When you know that the economies do not make sense, they say, oh, it's a national career. You need to carry the flag. I mean, pride and economics are two different things. Okay. Let me bring in a member of the a, a committee that most likely will consider this this um, request, if indeed it is brought before um, a, a parliament. That is, if government tables that, that agreement. Uh, a member of Parliament for Wild West End, a man with an understanding of security issues, uh, Peter Tobu. Welcome, Honorable. Is Mr. Peter Tobu on the line? Okay, okay. We'll try and we'll try and and and, and get him back, re reconnect and 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 get him back on on the line. You're, you're making a point before I I I went to to to, to Franklin about how you, you, you think that this issue should we, should, we should decide as a nation exactly, exactly what we want. Franklin has brought to the perspective about the issue is whether it, should, whether it, it, is, it is fit for purpose or not. That's, that's, should, should that be the central question? Yeah. Deciding what we, what, what, what as a sovereign state, which I mean from the, from the, uh, from the letter, from the re press release of the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, speaking about diplomacy and our size on, in a committee of nations and how this helps us as, as Ghanaians. He's talking about pride and, and, and economics. And then uh, agree or laying the foundation or ending, concluding on the note of whether um, this is something that we should consider as a matter of national pride or a question of economics. Right. Now, with the examples that are going around in terms of uh, whether or not the jet is fit for purpose, the examples that are being given are that, oh, for example, the president of uh, Liberia flew it intra-regional, yeah. and therefore it is fit for purpose. I believe the current president and past presidents have also flown the Falcon intra-region. From a hobbyist point of view, I think the question is, for cross-Atlantic, for long haul, is this the sort of jet we want to have? From a hobbyist point of view, for, for long haul, as I concluded in, two, in 2018, mm -hmm. this is not the type of aircraft. This, is, this, this aircraft has short takeoff and landing capabilities. That makes it suitable for our short runways in Ghana and other parts of the world. So that, for example, Kumasi, which used to have a runway length of 6,000 feet, this jet can take off and land. Now, if you are buying a bigger jet, you cannot take off and land on a runway length of 6,000 feet. Tamale, Accra currently have at least 11,000 feet of runway. Now that Kumasi is an international airport, it, it should have at least 10,000 feet of runway, meaning that we can have a bigger jet that can take off from Accra to Kumasi to Tamale to serve um, these purposes. But most importantly, if we are traveling cross-Atlantic, long haul, 
is this the type of jet? From a hobby's point of view, this is not the type of jet okay. for, for long haul um, flights. Can I, can, I, can I ask a question? Can I ask a quick question, please? <laughs> okay, Franklin, you may. Has the plane ever flown? Has the plane been ever flown across the Atlantic? The current plane, and were there problems with it? Maybe that could also help us as well. At the time, from 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 um, what was gleaned and during the conversation at floor of Parliament, we were told that this has it can do a thirteen hours straight mm -hmm. flight, thirteen hours without any break. But it doesn't have the capacity for refueling midair. If that if that answers the question. But I'll, I'll, I'll throw it back to you as well. Thank you. Yes. Now, the, the question is also that, yes, I mean, the direct answer is that, yes, it's gone cross-Atlantic before. And uh, technically, we are told that it's possible. But then what is long haul? What is multiple journeys? For me, that's the question. And that's Stop how... at the point of refuel. Even if it's in Australia, it could go mm. seven hours to buy, wait, and then maybe 14 hours to at Sydney from uh, from Dubai, uh, maybe I don't see it being a challenge because mm -hmm. it's a 13 hour, they have been told it's gone 13 hours, right? From Accra to DC, direct, probably 10, 11 hours. Mm -hmm. um, so maybe, maybe there are certain things we don't know and I'm happy to be educated. You may, you may continue with the point. Right. So, I mean, even if you are going commercial, um, you will stop and uh, refuel somewhere. But again, we are looking at the overall picture. Why is it that we have a presidential jet in the first place? Okay. It is for to enable the president travel, get to a certain destination, looking at the security implications, or health implications as well. You know, once you are flying commercial, for example, you expose the president, I'm, I'm looking at this as the office of the president, not necessarily an the individual, president. to issues like contagion. Now, you're aboard a commercial jet. What, how much space can you take on board a co commercial jet? If there's a disturbance on the commercial jet, how many security men do you have on board to protect your president? These are all questions that we need to ask. And uh, talking about long-haul flights, like I was saying, by all means, you will need to refill at, at a certain point in time, depending on the distance. But if you are doing multiple flights, going from here to New York, then, for example, going back to UK and all of that, is this the sort of jet? The answer is no. Okay. If you look, if you go inside, if you go inside the Falcon 900 mm -hmm. and you compare to the ACJ, for example, or the BBJ, you can tell the difference. It's like traveling from Accra to Tamale in a Tico as against um, maybe a 4x4. Four four. They all that's that's different. Luxury, no, it's not, it's, not, it's not only luxury. But the Tico travels. It's not only luxury because if, if, if you are doing Accra Tamale mm. in a Tico, mm. I'm sure you feel it. I'm sure you've flown economy before. <laughs> you've, you've flown uh, business class before. <laughs> the health impact. Hey. Last say. time I flew from um, Dubai mm -hmm. to Rio mm -hmm. de Janeiro, mm -hmm. I can't imagine that I would have done that in, in economy. The hey. toll. Mm. So that also matters. These are now it's, it's the office. Remember that the president cannot take this jet home. 
-hmm. when he's leaving. Other presidents will come and use it. So we should look at it. What do we want our president to be in, in terms of safety, security, and their timeliness? Is this the jet? For me, as a hobbyist, the answer is no. Okay. Right. Let me go on to uh, the. Uh, uh, let me go on virtually again, uh, Zoom, and then engage member of parliament for our West, uh, Mr. Peter Tobu. Welcome, uh, Mr. Tobu. Honourable. My brother, how are you? Good morning. I'm well. I'm well by grace. You, you, so you. Let me say good. Let me say good morning to um, my good friend and brother Franklin Kujo, the two panelists in studio. And to say good morning to our cherished viewers around the world. Mm -hmm. It's a brilliant, beautiful day in, in WA. I'm in my constituency, and then um, the network doesn't look so good, but I think that we can, we can manage. Okay, very well. A question, direct question to you. You've been, this has played right before your eyes. The questions from, from me uh, about the cost of uh, presidential just began from the, the trip in, to Belgium, France, and, and, and South Africa. Uh, questions were filed regarding the matter of whether the Falcon is in pristine condition that, the, and the issue of cost. We got the, the, the defense minister was on the floor to explain what it is in terms of the condition of the um, Falcon, the current presidential jet, the 9G EX, EXE. But the issue of cost, the finance minister came and deferred it to the minister for national security because that was not in his, in his domain. The debate has moved on since then. Now we're being told by the director of communications at the Jubilee House that, of course, plans are in place to get a bigger presidential jet. This is an issue. If uh, per practice what goes on parliament, in parliament continues, there may be a joint committee, foreign affairs, finance, and defense interior, which you are part of, which would have to determine whether this is a matter that should be taken on in terms of, of, of get, approving the, the pest for it to be bought. I want to find out from you your views on how this issue has I mean, unfolded up from May up until now and where the debate has gone into. Thank you very much. Let me make this statement before I go into the details. I've always said that leadership is influence. When you have a leader whose vision is quite compelling and inspirational, and many people believe so much in the leader, there are certain things that the leader can do, attracting the support of the populace. But at a point in time that many people believe that the country seem not to have a direction, the council, seem, the, the leadership seem not to have a vision, that the young men and women in town are getting frustrated. When you go to talk about a new presidential jet, sometimes it looks like it's an insult to their intelligence. That not to say, it isn't that a presidential jet is not a necessity, or else I'm not sure we would have had some in the past. Is it fit for purpose? Yes, the purpose is relative. As we speak today, the purpose for which the Falcon 900 was bought probably has changed under President Nanadu Dangwakufuado. And he's defining a new purpose for Ghana. And in that new purpose, he needs a new jet to fit that purpose. That is what he thinks. But what is that purpose? And as a member of the Defense and Interior Committee, I want to believe that this thing will finally land on our table. I will look at it. I always believe in people justifying things. It's not about coming to tell me, oh, yes, we need $500 million to go and buy a brand new presidential jet, which is fit for purpose. What is that purpose? Sometimes we fly around needlessly in this world. You fly around in the world and come back home with nothing. 
And the fact that the president's security is paramount, let's take note of this. The president's security is paramount because Ghanaian feels that he ought to provide leadership to inspire the system, to bring development, and the ordinary Ghanaian people, the ordinary Ghanaian will feel that he's a Ghanaian of substance. So it is that leadership that inspires people to begin to say, whatever the president will do for him to be protected, whatever the president will do for that, for his security to be in the hands, we are going to support it. So safety and security, looking at cost and looking at the national economy. Is that the best? Is that the priority? Is that what we want to do now? You see, when you have a hungry man, everything about food is a priority. But how to get that food? If you go and steal the food, nobody will be bothered about the fact that you were hungry. You'll be sent to the court and you are likely to be jailed. The fact that we need a new presidential jet doesn't necessarily mean we should kill ourselves. No. What is the status of our economy now? Can we afford? Are we transparent enough to let the Ghanaian people know this will inure to your benefit? Why do, we, why do we protect our president? Why do we offer our president the highest level of security? Because they are supposed to carry a brain that is supposed to transform the country for the ordinary person to be of value. So if we are seeing that and it's quite inspirational, I'm sure this debate will not take too long and people will appreciate it. But as we speak now, the level of desperation, the anger, the frustration in the system, when you go talk about a new presidential jet, you can bring all the justifications, but many other people who will fail to see the need to approve of it. Let this be initial comment. And as a member of the Defense and Interior Committee, I won't be going too much into detail because I'm sure that when it comes and there's a bipartisan committee set up or multi-purpose committee set up to look at the details, we might either have a consensus for national interest or we will decide to say what is actually good for this country is not to buy a jet now. In principle, yes. But in practice, is it the right time? You may want to get my view, and my view straight away, unless I am convinced beyond doubt. Ordinarily on the surface, as I speak to you, is a total no. There's been the accusation and allegations as well against the minority side that this is it should be thought of in terms of buying a jet or getting acquiring a presidential jet that would that can be used for different things. And you, you heard the Minister for Defence make that argument on, 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 on the floor of Parliament and highlight the inadequacies of the current presidential jet to read portions of what he said on the floor of Parliament. And to put back to you, um, he said that, that uh, I said this, this aircraft will carry a load of 11 persons minus the crew. When this aircraft is traveling to the eastern part of the USA or Asia, it will not load a crew of more than eight plus the luggage. So it depends on where it's going. Secondly, I've also said the aircraft has to do roof welling stops and also in this COVID-19, when you are traveling to multiple destinations like the president's recent travel, and that was in reference to the travel in May, which had three stops, South Africa, Belgium, and, and France. Uh, he would have to do technical stops, which are not desirable. And when he's traveling with more than 20 people like he has been doing for business trips that, huge, that brought huge sums of money to this country, he would need more than just a falcon. Otherwise, the others would have to go a day ahead before the president to prepare themselves. In fact, the president would have to go a day ahead because no uh, president can shower in this aircraft. He cannot move from this aircraft straight into a meeting. 
is, is, is this not, would, wouldn't you, uh, would the minority want, would, would the minority not want to have a, a, a presidential jet that is fit for purpose, that has, that has multiple uses, that can be used by successive presidents without looking at the issues, the economic circumstances today, which may always prevail? That's, that's, that's the question that some uh, pe pe people would ask. Thank you so much. Why do, why do we travel? Hmm. Why will our, our president be traveling with, 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 with more than 10, 15, 20 people? Why? They go out there to see if they can bring some benefit to the country. So if we would borrow, we go for a loan to buy a presidential jet and travel outside to bring loan to help support the economy. And all of a sudden, our debt to GDP ratio is quite threatening. We're at a very high risk level. I don't know where we're going to get any money from. Because if you look at how much we are spending to service debt, you wouldn't be thinking about the loan as we speak to you. But if the president thinks that, well, we can generate enough income. Enough to service our debt and enough to be able to buy a brand new presidential jet. That would be quite interesting and quite encouraging. But I don't subscribe to the fact that Everything we do, we are just borrowing. Mm -hmm. You borrow and go and buy a V8, and then go and rent a two by four bedroom somewhere. Oh, internet, it's not um, helping us. We'll, we'll have to come back in studio and um, uh -huh. engage council. Mm -hmm. So far on the on yeah, so Martin, mm -hmm. yes, on this, on this, on 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 the issue so far that have come yeah. up, there's public, there's disclosure, mm -hmm. there's the issue of economic, whether it makes economic sense, mm -hmm. and the questions about if we are buying this, mm -hmm. buying what, a good jet today, which can serve successive generations, is despite the current circumstances. Yes. Yeah, so for me, I think if if you uh, listen to all of us as panelists, I think somehow there is a general uh, consensus that we can broaden the debate. Okay. I think having listened to all of us, that is what is clear. So let's open our minds. As I, I said it earlier, it's just the manner in which they messed up this debate earlier that is now affecting them, you see. But that notwithstanding, let's just broaden the debate. Let's do it openly and see, especially as there's the, so far, there's a likelihood that we can recover the cost. If we can recover, why not? So let's broaden the debate. That's what it is. We cannot at this stage just agree that the government should buy. No. Government should come with the figures, engage all the stakeholders. Let's do it as openly as possible. Let's interrogate the figures. Because as I've said right now, I'm open because of the chances of recovering the money when the armed forces use it and other uh, organizations use it. That's what I'm going for. So let's be sure that it's true. We don't want it to arrive here, and then tomorrow when the armed forces want to use it, they say, no, 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 it's not available. That's not the purpose. Let it be fully documented. Let us as citizens, when we finish the debate and we agree that, yes, we can recover the money, let the document show. Then we all know that, oh, there's a document covering the use of this aircraft. This is where it can be found, and it's in there that the armed forces and other organizations can come and use it. Then, good, let's go. Okay. I know. Right. Um, I think your conclusion is apt. The discussion should be informed, mm -hmm. not just guesswork. Mm -hmm. So that if, we, if the information is put out there, 
then we can all make meaningful contribution to the discussion. Uh, we should also give some benefit to those put in charge mm -hmm. in the hope that they are taking decisions in the best interest of all of us so that at the end of the day, no one will be shortchanged. Yeah. Okay, Franklin. Well, I've not heard that the plane is not fit for purpose. All I've heard is that it cannot make, um, if we want to travel nonstop or make several stops, probably it's not fit for purpose. But initially I thought they were saying that it's not safe. Now it's moved from not being safe to not being fit for purpose, and the president cannot take a shower before going to a meeting. Mm -hmm. You know, the many reasons you keep hearing is so convoluted, and, and then you begin to ask yourself, what exactly is the purpose of this conversation? Is the plane fit for purpose? It is. I think we should. Um, I, I like the I like the fact that yes, we need more facts to be able to. Uh, come to that conclusion. But so far, I'm not entirely convinced by the arguments that are being made that they go and bring in all sorts of monies and all sorts of things. The question is, is the current plane fit for purpose? And I don't see why you should be carrying delegations upon delegations. I mean, in this age, if the defense minister makes the point that in this COVID, uh, COVID has also made it very difficult for these kinds of uh, travels well, COVID has also made it very easy for a lot of video conferencing. I was—I remember a few years ago, I was uh, in this meeting that the President Obama held in in the U.S. I think U.S. Africa U.S. Africa Summit, and I recall the Mo Ibrahim actually asking. Uh, Mo Ibrahim was actually happy that for once um, the former president of uh, Liberia, Johnson Sirleaf, had not come to the meeting in Washington and that he was very much interested in buying video conferencing materials for, the, for President Salif so that she can stay home and do work. In this day and age, you don't need to carry delegations upon delegations when you need to talk business. So we should also be mindful of some of these conversations as well. We need to adapt. Okay. Do we have Peter uh, Tobu back? Okay. All right. So um I'm back, I'm back, I'm back, okay, okay, I'm back, okay, I'm back. Okay, okay, Can okay. I conclude? Yes, right. yeah, yeah. If you um, conclude. In conclusion, we all to have known that uh, security is a shared responsibility. And the security of the president is actually a responsibility for all of us. For that matter, if we are thinking that the safety and security of the president will be enhanced by buying or purchasing a new presidential jet, all of us as people must contribute to that debate. Let's shape the thinking of the nation and arrive at a conclusion that would say that Ghanaians are saying, don't buy or buy. And as a people's representative, I am listening to people on the ground, particularly in my constituency, and the anger in there that the president wants to buy a new presidential jet that is supposed to be fit for a purpose that is not even defined is quite annoying. But let's continue to shape the debate. I'm sure that we'll arrive at somewhere that will be beneficial to the country, Ghana. Thank you. Okay. So let me read uh, some comments you send in. You've sent in so far from uh, Facebook. Uh, A.U. Farouk in Tamale says, "Good morning to you and to your panel. No matter what, um, no matter what, this Nanado government will not listen to what the poor taxpayers said about or are saying about the purchase of the jet. I suspect a fishy deal in the purchase of the jet, and when the economy is collapsing in the end, 
day in day out the president is interested uh, in overspending our money that's what you think um, uh, Henry Mensah Paul says deputy minister is preaching hunger minister is well I don't think we have dealt with that uh, Brian Adams from Asin Central says host so the NDC is claiming ownership of all MPP projects this shows that MPP is fixing the country nobody's saying Ghana is self-sufficient to go to sleep but we put them policies we've not discussed that issue so far okay um, Felix Minta Okankwe South constituency says under the able leadership under the able leadership of President Kufuado and his iconic agric minister, the living standards of Ghanaian farmers in the past few years have changed. Okay. It's also not related. Okay. Uh, Stephen Nati says, the question is, why is the president hiring an aircraft when he has given our aircraft to his colleague heads of state? That is, uh, that is Stephen Specter Nati. Okay. And this one says, uh, we should ask the fair questions. I believe that is what we are doing, Henry Mensample. We're asking the fair questions on this platform. All right. So uh, we'll, we'll take a break. Uh, when I come back, we would um, welcome our viewers uh, on television. Of course, the discussions will also we'll wrap up the discussion and move on to the other issues. This is the big issue. Stay with us. Hello and welcome back uh, to The Big Issue uh, right here on City TV. It's your favorite current affairs analysis program on television. Of course, so just going by, we've been discussing the acquisition of a new presidential jet. Uh, my guests, of course, the consensus around the table from the guests is that there has to be a broader consultation and discussion on this issue. Full disclosure as to the details and, uh, of course, which would aid scrutiny uh, and help the debate as to whether indeed we need or the country needs a new presidential jet or the current one the falcon 900 9g exe is fit for purpose and of course all the issues surrounding that but we still have some messages uh from our viewers and our listeners babamu from tamale central uh says it is not a bad idea for government to procure a bigger presidential jet in fact this will save us cost and also clear out allegations made by the honorable okujeto ablakwa amelga and who says our leaders expect us to be frugal yet they want to travel around the world as the world's richest if you're a poor country you travel on commercial airlines francis in takradi says videos of the president's recent tour of western region showed a necessary number of v8s the current president is just profligate appointed the largest number of ministers etc these guys just don't care about citizens they should do everything uh, they want they do everything they want we will also do what we can do queen across central says the reasons being given for the purchase of the new jet does not the reasons being given for the purchase of the new presidential jet is frivolous the hospital schools and bad roads must be completed before we think of buying a new presidential jet so we're discussing next uh, the eviction of residents of Bodumburam. Now, uh, displaced residents of Bodumburam at the Liberian Cambon government to give them ample time to relocate. They say they have nowhere to go. Most of the occupants of the camp are immigrants who came to Ghana to seek asylum when war broke out in their country. In July, the occupants of the camp were given the notice to vacate the camp by September 30th, following reports of the camp being a haven to criminals. This decision was taken after various 
uh, after pockets of crime, including robbery attacks, assassination, and other socially unacceptable uh, deviant behavior were traced to the camp, where people who have used it as, as a hideout and safe haven from security personnel. We visited the community to interact with some of the affected residents. And this is the story of the residents of Bodumburam and why they want government to give them more time. That's the Gumwa East District Assembly before they relocate. Uh, because of breaking the camp, I no get no place to go. I no get money to rent. So we're begging them that they give us some time. They... Okay. How long have you been here? I've been almost 20 to 25 years now. When did you move to the Bodumburam Which year? I came to Lumran Camp in 1990. 1990, that means 31 years. Then I go to Takrade, then I come back again. Okay, okay. Uh, so my husband came, me and my husband, my husband passed away, so now I'll be widow. Okay. So I no get money to go and rent. Then my people too, some people then no get money to go and rent. Some people too get small, small, small children without no place to go. Mm. So only thing we need, they will they give us some time. Because they say criminals, Yes. In camp here, we, we can't see them. Okay. Uh -huh. But when security here, I think they will rest that people who doing that thing and run away and come and stay in camp here. Yeah, yeah. They can bring the problem with we innocent people. Okay. So we need security in camp here okay. to protect us. So for you, if you got a chance, will you go back to Liberia? Yeah, I'll go. No, 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 They say you're the best here. I'll go, go. So all you're looking for is a bus? To go back. And the only thing we need. To go back. Can I review you both and you and came here 2012? They told us that they had two options for us. And they two options were to be integrated to Ghanaian society or go back to Liberia. We did not go to them to ask them for integration. They called, they brought the integration to us, process to us. And they know fully well that if you integrate a man into your society, there must be certain incentive given him. But since that time we took the integration, they have not come out with the incentive that belongs to us. And they are telling us they are about to demolish camp. It's total embarrassment they are giving to us. If they were with the camp 2012, they say, look, the only option we got for you, librarian here, is to go back to Liberia. If we are going to go ourselves sitting out here, then we'll have ourselves to blink. But they brought that option. When they go to the office and ask them, oh, please, we want to be in an integrated Ghanaian okay. society. We, we, they called the option to us, and we are waiting there to bring our, our, our package. And they have failed to bring our package and tell you all they are about to demolish camp. Those are embarrassment they are bringing to us in, in this place. Since last year, early last year, they took our name. Yeah, so you had the concerns of residents in that report. Uh, of course, that interview conducted by my colleague, uh, Bobier Osei. For this discussion, we have the chairman of the Liberian community in Bodumburam in the studio, Mr. Dennis Graham. You're welcome. Uh, good morning. Yes. And uh, welcome to all of your viewers. Mm. And thank you for giving me the opportunity for the other Ghanaians who don't know about Budubran's story to hear from okay. my own self. All right. So joining us uh, on, on Zoom is Dr. John Sopokwai. He's a crime researcher and criminologist at the Kwame Nkrumah University of Science and Technology. We'll be exploring the various angles. Because the main accusation has got to do with crime. And um, that is what the, the Gomwa East District Assembly is actually um, the premise for which they are taking this um, issue up with the relocation and the evacuation of uh, refugees and other residents of Budumburam. Welcome, Dr. Josupokuwai. Uh, thank you so much, and good morning to you, Duke, and also to your viewers and listeners. Yes, we still have on. Uh, we still have uh, Peter Tobu, uh, MP for Wild West, is still on, on with us, and. Um, 
Mr. Martin Pebos also with us mm -hmm. will be exploring all the other, all the angles that we need to understand with regards to the story. So let me begin with Mr. Graham mm -hmm. on this issue. The main accusation has been crime, but most of the residents have been living there since, I mean, the 90s, uh, when the UNHCR decided with the government of Ghana to take up that land to resettle or to, to, to bring in refugees from, from Liberia as a result of the political situation there. The issues mainly now has got to do with crime and other related matters. Why asking government or the district assembly to give you more time to relocate? And uh, what is your stand on the accusations against uh, the, the residents the, of the community? Uh, thank you. The very first thing that I want to say this morning with the issue of crime, mm -hmm. you know, United Nations build a police station there. Yeah. And with the issue of crime, the police are right there. Mm -hmm. So if there are any criminals at Budubora, it is the right of the police to go and pick the criminal out. You don't need to f refer that to the refugee. We are not criminals. And there is no police report to tell you that we are criminals. So if you police know the criminal, even if the DC know the criminal, you have the power to tell the police and get the criminal out, instead of coming after poor refugees who is not in your way. So we are not criminal. We don't have nothing to do with the, uh, what they call crime there. We've been there for 31 years. And I was being in Budubura, we didn't move to Budubura on our own. It's the same government that took over there in 1990 because of war in our country. Not that there was a musical concert there. People were dancing and said, oh, we don't want to watch that music. It decided that war brought it. We came to Ghana in 1990. By 2003, United Nations came up with Ghana refugee with ID card. As refugee, 2012, the sixth sensational was invoked. They came up with two options. You either go back home or you integrate in Ghana. And let me tell you the truth. Mm -hmm. Ghana Refugee Board campaign for this local integration. They campaign with documentation that if you are integrated in Ghana, this is what we're going to do for you. I got all these documents here. Thinking that we're going to bury the document, we burn them. But all of a sudden, they begin to tell people lies all over. We are compensated them with this, with that. No more human being. Can you give me $400 and I say I agree to stay in Ghana? Know how Ghana is hard? So the issue on Budubura isn't about what the district is saying, it's not about extension. The issue is that do the right thing. Well, the concern is that many of you took the, the money, the $400 for resettlement and moving back and never, and never moved. No. If they say oh, for resettlement, then they are not telling the mm -hmm. truth. In the integration package, they promise us that they are going to relocate off on Budubura with a housing facility. Mm -hmm. Our children were going to go to school. We ourselves were going to go to school. They gave her, uh, they were going to give a Ghana cut. The passport was intended for traveling if you want to travel outside. And all the promises they made, we have not seen anything. And for them to even come up to say, oh, you are decommissioned with the broken, you still have a car manager there. You are still talking about 400 refugees there. And now, what confused some of us is that you gave her two options. And the two options that you gave her, go home or stay. Other exempted. There were 3,000. You, you stream them, we don't even know the benchmark. You took 300 from there. You have people who are undecided in the process, it even end. There are people you dismiss, and there are people even during 2003 or uh, censor, you tell to wait for you, and they are still waiting. So with the issue of the integration, 400 was not an issue. It was a grant, not from Ghana government, from the United States and Danish government, mm -hmm. since 2014. And I hear the party saying $400. You didn't give up $400. You gave us CD from Ghana Commercial Bank, the documents are here. So why would you be telling people that? Even the equivalent at the time was like even 804. You kept the money for so long. 
You get what I'm saying? So these are promises you made to us that you are going to resettle off from Budiburam to other places. It, I'm not working with UNDC. Is there another paper? Yeah. Am I working with GRB? Is the joint concert people of URB and uh, of Jibo? Okay. And so, in those documents, these are documents they use to campaign. So the, your, your concern is that any attempt to relocate you from the camp is illegitimate? Yes. You have to find a legitimate place that you will take off. People will go and verify that the place is good. They will go there. But other than standing time will not solve the problem. The problem is there. So facing the problem. So the demand now is for the government yet to find a place, place for us to relocate every every, every those who have integration integration to, yeah. to, you, to you, move you, there instead of just relocate. Yeah, you even have Liberians who are still refugee. Somebody still thirty one years at Budubora. You are not planning to take them to another refugee camp. It, 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 it's not workable. And I don't think that they are even willing to go. You have another Liberian on Budubora that you dismiss. We don't even know the benchmark. And you will be going around instead of you providing leadership for those that are there. You are telling undocumented refugee, undocumented. Who make them undocumented? It's the same kind of refugee people. You asked me to stay in your country. You gave me the passport. You said I will not work and do business. How do I stay in the country? Look in the passport that they gave in the resident permit. Where's the resident permit? See the resident permit. No other occupation or business for reward is permitted. How do I stay? So our issue is not about extension. Mm -hmm. It's not about begging or the DCE. Our concern is about let government do the right thing. It's relocation. Yeah, relocation. Full relocation. Full relocation. With all the, with, with, like being moved into a new community yeah. where you, you, you probably integrate. Integrate. But how many of you decided to take that offer in 2012 uh, to go back to the country and to go back to Liberia and how well are those people doing? So those who opted for integration at that time were 4,600. 4,600. And, and at the time, how many were in terms of the, the Liberian community at the camp, how many in total? At present? No, at the time, at the time 2012. It's about 11,000. So almost 7,000 of you decided to go back? No, uh, 7,000 didn't go by. 4,600 took the options to stay. I uh, just told you about those that were dismissed. Okay. About 3,000 chose not to go and stay. They took an exemption. It's about 1,000 plus that was undecided. Now, the 3,000 took exemption. Ghana Refugee Board came back to the table and said, look, we're going to interview you. They interviewed these people and they said, look, out of the 3,000 that was vetted, we qualified 300. Left the other people undone. They are floating on Budubran camp. And they are the same people calling them undocumented refugee. Who made them undocumented refugee? You. And we don't even know the benchmark used to disqualify them. And there are other people who have the UNHCR article since 2003. You are not even touched them. They are there. And there were people who were even in the pew during 2003. You promised to come back to them. You have not come back to them. So they should go back on that camp and solve all of these problems. If the problems are solved, uh, you can give the land back to the district. We don't have a problem with it. We live in the district for 31 years, but all of a sudden, the DC corner criminal, we are armed robber, we are prostitute. You know, it's shocking some of all. And you can't bring on evidence. Okay. But this, this, this raises okay. questions of, of, of their rights mm -hmm. as, as mm -hmm. people who are residing mm -hmm. in our jurisdiction. Mm -hmm. That's one. Mm -hmm. But there are also concerns about, mm -hmm. about crime, which yeah. we, we had the residents that, that speak about, which has actually been the main reason why 
the digital assembly is trying to evict these uh, th these folks. He's talking about the re reintegration package. So there's reintegration, there's issue of settlement, there's security, and then there's their human rights. What do you make of all this? Yeah, let me get a, a clarification of the reintegration. Is it in our society or going back to Liberia? No, we, we, we were iced. There were two options. Mm -hmm. It's either you go back home mm -hmm. or still in Ghana. And we choose to stay in Ghana. Do you have the documentation on it? Ah, the, these are the information they provide during the campaign. There is not my document. These are for you initial briefing note. Mm -hmm. They are all here. You see some of the benefits of local integration. They are all there. Mm. They are all there. Okay. Yeah. But I've needed to see this document ahead and read all of Everything it to be, to be sure <laughs> to put it in context. Yes. But what that does is that, you see, because this, they've been there since the 90s, okay, that long period, obviously one thing is clear from a constitutional this uh, uh, standpoint that you can't just approve them overnight okay. like that. So July to September is certainly insufficient. That much, I mean, very very clear, because having allowed them to stay all this while, decades, right? Mm -hmm. So if you are checking from ninety one, this uh, nineteen ninety, nineteen ninety, twenty twenty one, so at least thirty years, thirty thirty one, can't approve them like cassava. No, not in one minute. That's not how we do it. So we certainly have to go back to the drawing table and look, because they are making their claims that they were given the option to either leave or stay, okay. integrate. So, and you see, there's a lot of credence rate at this stage, because the point is that, even without the papers, the question is that, why did some leave and others were allowed to stay, even if they didn't have these papers? You know, when you go into a court of law, it's not only about paper, paper, but we, also, we have the practical facts. So the singular question government will have to answer is, so how did some leave and then others stayed? And when they stayed, what did you do? What did you do? Was it the plan that, hey, Liberian government, come for your people? No. If that's not it, then please, let's look at it. So in following this, this uh, relocation, has there been a new parcel of land allocated? In the document there, he said they were going to, or the district were going to provide land mm -hmm. for them to build houses for us. Mm -hmm. Because whatsoever the district needed for us to stay there have been constructed. Mm -hmm. The police station have been built, mm -hmm. the fire service, the hospital, the, the teacher's bungalow, the doctor's bungalows, all these places were constructed for that Gomorrah East. The chief has said, well, if you read that document clearly, you will see all of those things are there. So we are even sure for district or uh, Gomorrah East district to come up to say, we are giving you or one month or three weeks to live with the borough. But, but I, I want to find out, have, have you been there? Have you engaged, the, what, what is, have you engaged the, the, the municipal chief executive? What has he told you about, the, or they are just evicting you just for sake oh, of the evacuation? The, the, the he, he does not consider all. We wake up in the morning, we saw the eviction notice all over the camp. Uh -huh. And then there's this point you were saying. Did you say at a new site there's a hospital, or you mean yet no. to be built? Buduburam. Uh -huh. And so the facilities in Buduburam. Yeah, it was built there. So we expect that they should find a land of Buduburam and build somewhere there. And uh, so before you go. You go. Mm, you have a case. That one, yes. Those days where you could just come and say, hey, hey, you don't belong here. No. There are some cases there. Uh, you know, Ghana, if you're not careful, for, for us lawyers, there's this case that once went to court. But I think, look, 
it's not sustainable today. There's Abbas and AMA. Well, you remember this Sodom and Gomorrah thing? They came and said, no, they are only uh, squatters. They don't have rights. So the court said they should uh, leave. It's not sustainable today at all. These guys, these circumstances, you can't approve, approve them that way. So either government has to find another land and do it, like what they're saying, or in the current situation. Was it not just recently that uh, uh, we formed a new police region, Kaswa, well, there's a name for it. There's a, so there's now a new police region for the Kaswa area. We have to ask IG to see, has he ruled out all the plans he has for the region, and yet crime cannot be resolved? So in all of this, I think even the picture is incomplete without involving uh, IGP, because he just created a region. And from my understanding, when you just create, you know, it takes time to bring in resources. I did not now doing the police recruitment. Okay. So uh, invariably, I mean, it's, it's obvious to the lay eye that because this region is just being created with this recruitment coming, they will be bringing in more policemen. We have to really bring in the IG. Let's see what are his plans for the new region and to tackle the crime situation here. And then it should be holistic. This knee-jerk, knee-jerk, some people come and complain because what I see here is that the chiefs complain that, yes, Kaswa has too much crime. Yes, we all agree. You see, we, we, you see, when we come to sit here, sometimes if we don't put it in context, it's made to look as if we are not scared. No, I'm also scared. There's insecurity, right? But it's always there. There's always insecurity. So if we are not careful, if we don't look back uh, to our history and see that insecurity has always been with us, we'll just say, oh, it's as if it's a new thing. So please move them out. When you move them out and you are not able to drive them out of Ghana, are they not going to other parts of the country? So then you'll just be shifting the problem around. So for me, it's clear that, look, the DC has to listen, uh, hold his horses, Let's have more consultation and dialogue on this matter. And most especially, I think the IG should be brought into the picture. That having just created a new police regime, have you given IG the opportunity to roll out his plans to curb the crime in, the, in that area? If, if not yet, and this is not an appropriate time until IG tells you that, look, uh, I, I've tried it for a year or two or whatever time he will give, and he's not able to deal with the problem. I don't think this is the time to approve them like cassava. No. All right. Let me go on to the. Uh, let me go on Zoom and, and, and engage um, Dr. Johnson Pokwai on this on this issue. Uh, first, there, there is a clarification as to with, even whether the, the the status currently right now. I mean, it probably could engage the Ghana Refugee Board on it as to whether they are res permanent residents in Ghana, they are refugees, or they are people who are even being being integrated. But I'm coming to you on the issue of of, of crime and 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 and. and how it is being used as a justification to uh, for the district assembly or the municipal the local authorities to uh, want to uh, move these uh, residents of Budumburam out of place is it something that is justified okay thank you very much uh duke and also uh, let me once again uh, greet your, your your viewers and your listeners i mean listening to mr graham uh, I must say, <laughs> I'm a bit sad. I mean, because like we are caught between a, a, a hard rock and a deep blue sea. I mean, we are we are faced with what seems to be a legitimate uh, rights of the people, and also our desire to be able to deal with the kind of crimes that we experience within the Kaswa area. So I must say, I am quite um, sad. 
and I'm quite, um, you know, moved by by the by by the complaints. And I think that we have to be very careful and and deal with it in a much better way. I mean, listening to what what Mr. Graham and um, has been saying, the documents we show it looks like we have um, we have a problem on our hands. Great. And now when it comes to crime, I must say that, you know, I studied Kaswa and also within the, the Budumbura area as part of my PhD studies. And I lived there for some time and I interacted with the people. I must say, <laughs> I did a lot of things within the area just to understand the kind of uh, criminal situation we have there. So I have quite uh, some form of knowledge, in fact, deep knowledge within the area and why we experience the kind of crime patterns we, we, we have there. And now if you look at the area, you will see that there is what we call high residential instability. And now there is so much movement of people within the area. And most of the time, the people that we have uh, who joined the legitimate uh, refugees that are supposed to be occupying the area are people from the West African neighbors, uh, West African sub-region. We know our neighbors either from the eastern or the western, even the northern borders of our country. That is what makes it so problematic in dealing with the kind of situation we have. And I think Mr. Graham even alluded to the fact that there are some people that we, we, we have known to be illegal settlers amongst those that are supposed to be legitimately living within, within the Budumbura area. And I think for me, looking at the kind of crime density we have within the area, that is what is complicating the problem uh, in terms of insecurity within the Kaswa uh, and the Budumbura area. So for me, I mean, on the basis of, of, of criminality, there is some legitimacy to the kind of patterns we have observed uh, in terms of crime patterns within, within the area. And nobody can, can dispute the fact that, look, Budumbura has become a camp and a haven for, for criminal elements. Yeah, but, but will the decision to, first of all, you're talking about the fact that the patterns support the fact that uh, the high, high residential instability or the justification that there's, there's crime in the area. The question I want, I'm, I'm, I'm asking is, are we, is there going to be a solution if, if they are moved in this manner, that's the question. I'm, that's 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 the question I'm, I'm asking at this at this moment in time. Because from your okay. work and from the analysis you've done so far, the patterns seem to suggest that there may be some connection. But I want to find out if the, this relocation in this time and in this manner would give us or would give the people in that enclave seeking to get some reprieve from crime a solution to this. Would just the, the evacuation and eviction within this period give a certain solution to the problem? Okay, so moving them, basically, when, when the evacuation takes place, basically what we are essentially doing is to break that criminal network that have been established by certain people uh, within the camp. So once we move them, in essence, you are, only, you are displacing or destroying the kind of criminal network that has been existing within the place over the period. As to where those criminal networks will find themselves next, I will not be able to tell. I mean, most of the time in criminal analysis, we say that there is a tendency for those criminal gangs or networks to move to what we call the edges of community. So you see that they may find themselves probably within the Accra or even the central region uh, community. So you may see those kind of movements. So once we begin to move them or destroy or maybe break down the community, we, we essentially dissipate 
those networks that, that, that have been operating within the camp. And now let's note that from the patterns we know and have observed over the period, uh, they may not necessarily even be Liberian refugees, as I've already said, but they move in and out, come and live there. Unfortunately, the social network system that exists within the Budumuran camp have been used to protect some of these criminals. Okay, because ordinarily community members should have been able to turn and give up some of these people. I mean, who we know don't even have legitimacy in terms of their stay. But then when they come, some people hide them and some people cover them up. So these are the kind of problems that, that, that we have within the camp. So by breaking the camp, what we are essentially doing is that we are breaking that kind of system and that kind of networks, whether it is criminal gangs or even familiar familiar uh, ties or networks so that we can we can we can have some semblance of you know you know peace within the area so for me in the in the short to medium term it it may bring some form of stability but then once we progress and we move on we may need to track those kind of people uh, that 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 we we, we have dissipated uh, from the camp all right let me go to uh, mr tobu on this issue uh, not only as a as a representative of people in a in, in a part of the country, but as also a man with understanding, practical understanding of how, uh, how, how, uh, with a practical understanding of command, the police's um, interest and, and the police's work in areas such, such as these. Let's first of all look at it from the security angle and then the, the fact that the government is, has been involved in this for, for some time now. And a local authority, that is the municipal chief executive, of Gumwa East in trying to, his main justification has been security, in trying to ensure that there is safety and security, uh, there is this relocation or this call for relocation and eviction and evacuation of uh, persons in that area. Looking at the complex issues surrounding the people who live in the area and its implications. Thank you very much, Duke. Um, let me say hello to lawyer Kwebu and then um, Dr. Opokuwari, who have a bit of an insight in the Kasua Budumura area in relation to crime. Uh, my brother Graham is a Liberian who stayed in Ghana for years, so he's, he's virtually a Ghanaian. Yeah. Um, let me look at the crime environment. You see, policing is dynamic. And the kind of policing required in Budumburan is not similar to what you will need in Bogatanga. And if you bring the same style from Bogatanga to Wichau, my district capital, you may be a failure as a commander. So we need to understand the dynamics of the Budumburan society. Budumburan is actually a replica of West Africa as a community. Everything West Africa can be found in Budumburan. So it's a very complicated society that we need to study and understand. And that is why all the time I've always recommended smart policing. Smart policing is all about blending academia with, with professional police officers to study the situation, conduct detailed research, and be very scientific in developing operational strategies to deal with the Budumbram issue. Relocating criminals is not, it's neither a solution. It, just as Dr. Pukwari said, it, it can give us some temporary relief that you've dislocated them and they are trying to reconnect at them. Within that space of trying to reconnect, you might have some semblance of peace, okay? But the moment they reconnect, they might be relocated elsewhere. So what you are virtually doing is relocating criminals still within Ghana and you continue to chase them. What we ought to be looking at. I think that the Inspector General of Police, the Acting Inspector General of Police, Dr. George Akubu Dampari, he's taking a bold step to create 
Kaswa turned Kaswa into a whole police region. You see, in creating a police region, what the Inspector General is saying that Kaswa and its environs has developed to a state that we require a whole region to handle its security-related matters. And Budumburam is part of this new Kaswa region. Have we consulted to find out that whether he's conducted any research into the Budumbura area, what are the strategies that he's putting in place? Relocating people from Budumbura was just basically relocating crime to other places. It's just like what we did in Agogo some time ago. We went to Agogo saying that, look, every man in Agogo area should get out of the Agogo in, and its environs. Where were they getting out to? To Burkina Faso? No. To Mali? No. They got out to other places like Afran Plains and what have you. And what they were doing in Agogo, that we, 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 we protested vehemently. They continue to do that in other areas. So that is not a solution. So let's look at Budumbram as a community. Study Budumbram as a community and look at the policing requirement of Budumbram, the security requirement of Budumbram. If there are criminals in there, we should have a way of getting them out. But if we think of relocating them, and probably we'll go back to the UNSCR report, relocating 4,600 qualified refugees. If you're able to do that, all other people who are within the camp who are not supposed to be there, we can treat them as illegal immigrants and we know what to do to them. But as we speak, relocating people within three months, I don't know what provision has been made, but it is very unclear whether this will actually result in a very peaceful central region. Because if you relocate them from Budumbura, they might just shift to somewhere closer to Cape Coast, or they can shift somewhere, somewhere even closer to Insawom, or wherever we want to take them to. We can decide to take them elsewhere, but they may also decide to live individually to other places. How do we regulate that? It's quite a challenge. But with the security aspect, I think that there should be a, a, a holistic thinking. There should be holistic consultation. Security is a shared responsibility, as always repeated. The police provide the lead in terms of internal security. But all of us as citizens, have a, we do have a role to play in ensuring that the police are more effective than we are seeing them now. If one professional policing, let's be supportive of police activities. And sometimes, you see, we have political decisions and we have security decisions. The political decision to relocate people in Budumburam probably might fly in the face of the security decision to ensure that Budumburam is stabilized. Let's so how, how, do you, how do you blend the two? Because clearly this is a, a situation that is, is, of, is of interest. And he stated here that the level of engagement between the, 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 the chief executive of the district and the community has not been the best. That is, if you have to take uh, Mr. Graham's word, as against the security concerns. We're looking at the security issues, and we're looking at the political dimension of it. How do we marry the two? Thank you very much. I think that what is quite expressive here is the fact that from the security angle, the police agree that Budimburam and its environment requires some stand action, requires some new approach, requires some serious approach. And that is why um, Kaswa became a whole police region. You know, we've created a police region as a country, but we need to establish that region. Establishing a new region takes time, takes logistics, okay, it takes personnel. If you're able to do that and there is a specialized design security approach to deal with the Budimburam issue, if we fail, then we could go for the political decision. But as we speak, I still believe that there will be a, a, a security solution to the matter if we understand Budumburam as a society, study it well, and design a policing strategy for it. And that is why all the time I recommend community policing. Budumburam is a community. What kind of policing do they require to, do, to ensure that the, the place remains stable and, and, and secure? We need to study and understand it so that when we roll out that community policing strategy, just specifically designed for the Budumburam, 
we may be able to we may be able to help the politicians understand it's not just about uprooting people and not being able to track them where they will be moving to that one can actually become a problem so it is a challenge we all know that budumbram over the years has become a challenge the people believe and all of us do believe that it harbors a lot of criminals and just like graham is saying if we believe that budumbram harbors a lot of criminals how is it that we are not able to get in there and get them out you require a, a certain policing strategy to be able to get these people out. So I want to believe that the creation of the new region is the beginning of something good that is going to come. If the political decision to relocate them works, and that can reduce the crime, so be it. But personally, I think that we need to blend that political decision with a security decision and provide a human face to this whole approach. Thank you so much. All right, let me engage uh, Franklin on this issue. There is a, there is a historical oh. context to this. Uh, from 1990, 31 years, a group of people, Ghana decided to extend uh, a hand of you know, friendship and as, a, as part of finding a political a, a solution to the political crisis in, in Liberia, uh, were brought here. Uh, the UNHCR, working in consultation with government, decided in 2012 to move uh, to, 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 to I mean, cement matters of reintegration in that community. The issues have been laid bare by, by Mr. Graham. There's a matter of human rights, security, and then the considerations by the local authority that, i.e., the, 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 the MC. What should be the overriding concern in all of this, Franklin? Well, I think there's a rule book by the UNHCR when it comes to decommissioning refugee camps. Um, the question I have is was this decommissioning, which was done in 2010? Uh, the, give the full knowledge of the refugees. If it is the case, what is it that has led to these current misunderstanding? Because the refugee comes all over the world at the commission, and I understand that the process is also supposed to be humane. The question I have is, what offers were made? Uh, I'm hearing Mr. Graham suggest that they were asked to either integrate into the country or to be repatriated as well. How exactly did that pan out? I think that's all we need to know. Um, otherwise, we may be, it's quite an emotive issue, I understand. But if the UNHCR, which is the body mandated to decommission or close camps across the world, uh, and they have done this in consultation with the government, what were the terms? Were they told, for instance, that those who were going to be integrated into the country would be given certain, you know, lifeline support or they'll be taken to certain other areas in the country? I think we need to understand those um, terms. Um, otherwise, I, I don't know how, I, I, I mean, I can meaningfully contribute to this conversation. Unless the UNHCR is not in this country, I think they have an office and the Ghana Refugee Board has also been, has an office. And I think we should bring them into the picture as well. Uh, Mr. Graham could well tell us exactly what, what went down. Um, if these processes were not obeyed, and now that they are being asked to leave, whether after 10 or 11 years, when the camp was decommissioned, um, Exactly what has happened. I mean, those I have more questions rather than contributions. contributions okay. Can, can, can I? Can I? Can I all right. Let that? me. Yeah. F f first of all, 
officially what are the status or what is the status of the persons in that in in, in that area the people that you lead are uh, they now as at now still officially uh, referred to as refugees yeah, or people, permanent the, the people that are lead some of them are refugees mm -hmm. some of them are integrated and they even dismiss some of them mm -hmm. that they are no more refugee but as a matter of fact that we would even know the benchmarks used to dismiss okay. a refugee ah is talking about decommission what are you still keeping car managers there if the people have been decommissioned mm -hmm. what are you talking about relocating 400 refugees from there mm -hmm. if they pay decommission now only library refugees are there you have a rural refugee there you don't have an urban outreach there just last week so if the UN and Ghana refugee were saying the people have been decommissioned what are you doing all of this thing you just renew our passport right there 2018 so I, I still don't get in the point of which somebody saying I've been decommissioned, decommissioned. So if they play the decommission, why are the refugees are still there? Why you still have your office there? You want to say your office is there? So for those who, who opted for integration, you promise all you Ghana refugees and you want to share that you're going to take off from Budubura. That we should do. Take off to a better place. You're going to provide housing, give for education, and so many things promised in this paper that I put before the lawyer here. Mm -hmm. And you can go through them. So no name of even crime, criminals. We are not criminals. Mm -hmm. Go to Kaswapuri, even go to Budubran. No library is criminal. Let them bring proof that we are criminals. If you know the criminals are there, why can't you get them from there? We don't have the power to get them. But the police have the power to get them. So since you know that the criminals are there, go and get them out and let them be free. So for what has been the communication from the company just that you talk about and the UNHCR itself that has that has been key in in in, since, in, 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 in about the, the livelihood and settlement of since the invasion began since that notice was posted almost all the letters we wrote to UNHCR they turned it over the Ghana Refugee Board okay for every letter we write there they give it back to Ghana Refugee Board and we don't know what is happening there. And I believe that it is the work of Ghana Refugee Board to complete all of the processes. But criminals, activities, the police are there. You have the region in Kaswa, Budubrava police station. Why can't you pick up or criminals carry there? Mm. Because if you get a criminal, you're supposed to go to jail, right? Yeah. No need you release them to come back. That's so, that's so if you take a criminals, you put them in jail, after two days they are back on the camp. Mm -hmm. Who is bringing them? It's me? No, I think this, this, uh, this, this. From what the discussion we're having, there is, we're, we're gleaning that there's a tendency that as a network, network protecting these uh, alleged criminals in, in, in the community. Uh, protecting them in which way? If you, if, if, if you catch a criminal, who's going to protect a criminal? The best thing the police needs to do is get the criminal out of the place. There's a prison. You got a Winneba prison. You got in some prison. If you know the person's a criminal, send them there. If the Liberians involved, send the person to jail. But all of the accusations, you are not bringing up proof that we are caught the Liberian in the robbery, the Liberians was divorced in there. You know? I, I, I challenge the DC up to now. Bring me one proof that Liberians involved in the robbery. <laughs> yeah, you are not bringing no proof. So if the Ghanaians are involved in it, get the Ghanaians in jail there. And leave her alone. We stayed there for 31 years now. Is it this year you got to know that we are criminals? <laughs> you indicated earlier. Yeah, I think, I think, the, security, I yes. think the, security, I think the security question seems to have been overblown uh, and maybe a ruse, really. Um, but 
as I understand, there are host the community that hosted the refugees seem to want its land back. So again, there may be other reasons for this, but I am still uh, asking the I mean the main question: the UNHCR and the Ghana Refugee Board decided to decommission, and as Mr. Graham is saying, they still have an office in there. What exactly were promised those who chose to remain in the country to be reintegrated? What were they promised that they haven't been given? Because if you are supposed to be reintegrated, you must be given the option, you must be given certain, um, should I say, lifeline support, maybe to be taken to another area or given some accommodation somewhere. I, I, what exactly is Mr. Graham saying? You mentioned earlier that. I think that you were getting to the point. Yes. The issues there, they said they were taken off from Budubura mm. to a new location with a horses facility. Mm. Have, have you been I there? See. Have you been no, taken there? No, we have there? not seen the place. But you indicated, you, you mentioned that they had, there are some facilities. No, uh, what I say in my explanation mm -hmm. is that they have built the facilities in that Gomorrah. Mm -hmm. The police station, the fire service, mm -hmm. you come back to the issue of the, the hospital. So that's a plan they showed you, but you've not been taken to the place. No, they are, we are seeing the plan. But what in the document is that? It's the same government who are going to provide all land for affected. Yeah. Okay. In the document, they said uh, they procured uh, 700 acres of land affected in their document. And these are things that convince all to take integration. Okay. Dr. Pokwa, you have, you have uh, yes, a yeah. quick intervention. Yes, I mean, I mean if, if I should listen to what. Um, Mr. Graham, I'm saying you can really see uh, a clear mess that have been created. Uh, I mean, for the refugees and and in terms of they living in the camp. I mean, for me, if uh, there had been an arrangement for them to be relocated, that should have been done properly, and that should have been done way long. Uh, I mean, by now. So you can you can really see from whatever he's saying and the narration that is is given that. You know, the mayor, there is that kind, that lack of finesse, you know, and 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 to be able to follow through agreed processes to to get the proper things done. So for me, if we are having all these issues within the area, um, I will not want to partly just blame those people there. Uh, I also want to look at the authorities, what what they have done, and they are kind of you know like a desigar approach that they've adopted over the years in terms of. You know, dealing with the refugee situation uh, within the area, and also properly integrating the people and getting those that have to be well documented properly documented. So it, it looks it looks untidy, and it looks like a, a clear case of you know lack of finesse. You know, I mean, which is characteristic of of, of Ghanaians and the way uh, our leaders and our authorities, I mean, approach issues. So I can understand Mr. Graham and where it's coming from, but you should also understand that when it comes to matters of security and crime. They are not as simplistic as he's trying to put it like, okay, if you think somebody is going to arrest the person. Security is quite complex than, than, than he's trying to portray it. So for me, if he also wants to be very, very truthful to himself, he, he, he will not want to paint the people living in Kaswa, not necessarily the Liberians per se, but other people that we have come to know as even illegal, illegal you know, settlers within the camp. Many of them, because they don't have proper documentation, they don't have any proper skills, they don't have any proper work to do. They engage in some of these these, these criminal and nefarious activities over the areas, and you know it, it even ripples to other other edges and other communities that are close to, to the camp. And that is why sometimes you see the ripple effect of some of the activities in Kaswa. Look, Duke, look at this. I mean, when you compare issues, for instance, of land guard, I mean land guard issues, 
Trust me, when you compare the nature of land guard issues in Kaswa and even Accra, you see that the, those that happen in Kaswa are quite ruthless. And from my, my studies and the kind of interactions I did with people, the Budumbura camp over the years was becoming like the marketplace for land guards. And most of these guys that were hired from the Budumbura camp were not necessarily Liberians, but they were people from the other West African suburbs, especially the northern side of the country, uh, our borders, and also from the, from, the, from the eastern side of our borders. And these were the guys that people go into Budumbura camp and then, and then recruit their services. And then you could see that the activities in terms of protecting people's lands were so violent. And most of the times, if you even compare to land guard activities in Greater Accra, those in Kazoa are very violent. They, are, they were violent because most of the time, these guys are people who are undocumented and they are people that we don't have any record of. So once they are violent and they even murder people, all that they do is just to take their backs and leave the shores of the country, go back and cool off in wherever they came from. And now when things die down, they come back and come and reintegrate. That was why initially I said that, unfortunately, people who are supposed to be legitimate residents of the camp, okay, like refugees from Liberia that we, we come to know, some of them over the time, because of the kind of network system they build with some of these people, okay, were using that network and social support system to protect those illegal guys who, are, who, who unfortunately found themselves among them. And instead of giving them away, they, they, they sometimes use that facade, you know, to, to protect them. And for me, that is, that is the crux of the issue. Okay. And that is where we have to look at. So, 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 so in essence, the challenge of the settlement exists, but the way it's being disbanded is not right. That is a problem. Okay. So you see, right. if you look at, if you really want to understand the problem, you have to understand the special configuration of the place. Okay. How is the place structured? Because you must know that now the place is a high activity node. So once you have a high activity node as a location, trust me, you have all these kind of problems. So let's all find right. a better way of trying to break those kind of networks instead of just trying to, you know, you know, treat them as, as, as let's say, bad people altogether. Okay. We'll take a break here. When I, when I come back, we will engage Blah um, Martin Pebu and Mr. Graham on the final thoughts. And then we'll move to the issue of the report, the Justice Kumsin Committee report. We'll be back after the break. Stay with us. This is a big issue. Welcome back. This is still the big issue. We're discussing the uh, planned evacuation or eviction of Budumburam residents. Of course, it's disputed, um, highly disputed. The chairman of the uh, Liberian community in Budumburam uh, saying that it should be a matter of relocation and not just uh, taking or getting residents out. So far, I've been appreciating various perspectives to the issue, the security and crime angle, uh, the human resettlement angle, as well as the human rights situation. Uh, with regards to the matter of this resettlement or movement of residents of Budubura. We'll conclude this issue uh, by first getting to um, council. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah. we've, we've heard the views, the views, the views are around mm -hmm. the table. Mm -hmm. What's the best way to settle this? Yeah, so uh, from all, all of us are views so far, you can see that we are concluding that the manner in which this thing is being dealt with is not right. You would need more stakeholder consultations, especially as uh, Mr. Graham is banding his document showing that you had promised local integration, and today you are not giving it, and you just say move out. That's not, it, it won't wash. 
it won't wash. And then also coupled with what we've raised, uh, uh, Honorable Tobo and I, about IGP's plans for the regions. If you haven't heard IGP on this matter, then you, you are not up to scratch. You have to hear IGP on this matter, that what is he doing about the situation, what are his plans. So I think the DC should uh, go back to the drawing table with the chiefs, engage IG, and then the, uh, this, uh, the, the people themselves, and then let's have a better way forward. Okay. Mr. Graham, yeah. your, 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 your final comments on this uh, issue? My final comment is that uh, UN Shara Ghana of Jibos should come back and be able to solve the problem with the Bura. Part of the problem with the Liberian committee is that the UN Shara Ghana of Jibo. They have never completed any of the processes. So let them come and complete all of those processes. We'll find our way out. Because the pressure is too much from the chief. And before, there was no pressure. Initially, when we went to Budiburan, those in the village benefited from the Liberian. Even some of the villagers are in the state today because of Liberian. And they were even sharing ration with us. They were not refugees. But I realized that the issue of the land, so much of the land, land, land. And I also realized that maybe nothing is coming again. Mm -hmm. So since it's nothing coming back to you, we want our land. So the best option is that UNHCR share and Ghana Rujibo should sit down with government and find a place for us to go. We can give the land. The land does not belong to us. That's my own conclusion. But instead of telling us we'll demolish the house, even if we demolish it, we'll still be there. Because the DC is threatening us with military, military, assuming oh, that no, maybe no. the military come today, they will be killing her. So that is why people say, well, let the military even come now. Maybe they will start killing her. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so the, the solution to the problem is that, uh, come, let's sit down and solve our problem. We will go. That's, that, that is my conclusion to the issue. Okay, let me, let's read a couple of comments to wrap it up. This one uh, from Master Planner says, uh, I think the solution, I think the solution of destroying the, of destroying the camp is simplistic. It's not tackling the root cause of the problem. I believe the solution is to focus on the community in terms of security, channel more resources into the area, and without persons causing the uh, problem. So there was a prior notification to residents of Buduburam concerning the demolition exercise. They don't have any excuse for time extension. That's what you think, uh, Junior from Kintampo. All right, so um, the next issue has got to do with the Idra report and the reactions, the unrest. Uh, now, President Akufuado in July 2021 directed the Interior Ministry to conduct a public inquiry following the killing of two persons and injuries to four others by soldiers during a protest against the uh, killing of social activist Ibrahim Mohammed, popularly known as Kaka Metro. Kaka died on Monday, June 28, 2021, after he was attacked by unknown assailants. Uh, while returning home from an event he attended in the area. Earlier reports suggested that Kaka was killed because of his social activism, which some persons felt uh, would make the government unpopular. But police reports suggest otherwise, that after killing three people, including his brother, uh, who was arrested and put before court over the killing. The interior ministry subsequently considered a three-member committee chaired by Justice George Kinsley Kumsin to probe the issues and make its recommendations. The report of the three-member ministerial committee that investigated the disturbances has been published by government. Among other things, the committee recommends the removal of the MC for the area who had already pulled out of the race to maintain his position and compensation for the affected families and victims. Here's a report chronicling the event and some reactions after the release of the report. For the publication of the report have dominated the media space with the family of Kaka leading the charge. The committee in its report concluded that the death of Kaka resulted in the disturbances that led in the death of two persons, 
It contains key findings from the death of Ibrahim Mohammed, known as Kaka, the actions of the police, military, political appointees, and recommendations. On the death of Ibrahim Mohammed, the committee made its conclusion based on the testimonies of three persons, namely Sahada Hudu, the wife of late Kaka, Abiwakas Umar, a cousin of Kaka, and Sadia Fuseni, a co-tenant of the Kaka family. The committee, after analyzing the evidence, concluded that the testimony of Sadia Fuseni, that said Kaka was assaulted by his brother, Baba Idi, was more probable. The family has, since the confessions made by their co-tenant, refuted the claims and insists that their relative is being treated unfairly. He is currently standing trial for the death of his brother. The family has maintained that Kaka was killed by persons who were against his activism over the state of development in Nigeria, and this point was corroborated by his wife and cousin in their testimonies before the committee. The committee stated that it treated the testimony of Abiwakas Umar with caution as he had been economical with the truth. The committee in point six indicated that a study of the video and audio evidences presented to it by Abiwakas Umar revealed that the five videos tended by him have no bearing on the alleged threats on the life of Kaka, as stated by Abiwakas. In one of the videos, Kaka was seen directing traffic. In two of the videos, Kaka was showing and complaining about the poor sanitation in Nigeria, especially around the public toilets. The fourth video contains some traditional elders pouring libation in respect of the forcible reopening of the Nigeria market, which had been closed during the COVID lockdown. The fifth video was of Kaka complaining about the lack of development in Nigeria. Based on these, the committee concluded that he might have died as a result of family feud. In point 10 of the committee's finding, it indicated that they are convinced that the evidence as testified to by Sadia Fuseni is more reasonably probable than the unsubstantiated evidence of Abiwakas and Sahada Hudu, which are more speculative. We accordingly find that the death of Kaka was not directly linked to social media activism. It is more probably a family feud. Though the police hierarchy claimed before the committee that they had responded rapidly, the committee concluded that was not the case. In point 20 of its findings, the committee noted that the testimony of the DCOP that the police at Ejra visited the scene of the crime where he was assaulted on June 26, 2021 could not have been true. This is because Exhibit D, that is the docket on the murder of Kaka, discloses that the diary of action begins with the date 30th June 2021, with information therein relating to events at the cemetery on 29 June 2021. The committee also described as unnecessary the deployment of a police riot vehicle to the cemetery. For the committee, the cemetery grounds were peaceful prior to the arrival of the police. So uh, that's a report that uh, chronicled the events and uh, gave us a brief summary of what the recommendations are. But just 10 points briefly what the committee recommended. Adequate compensation for the families of the two deceased persons, Abdul Nasser Yusuf and Mutalas Raj Mohammed. It further recommended that the injured persons, Louis Aikpa, Awa Mizbao, and, and Nasif Nuhu. That is, uh, those are the ones, persons to receive compensations. 
injured persons, compensation for families of the two deceased. Immediate transfer of the District Police Commander of Adria, DSP Philip Kojohamond, for his incompetence in handling the situation and also for the fact that his relationship with the community seems to have been damaged beyond repair. Three, the expansion of the Adria Police Station and an increase in personnel. The removal of the Adria Sechadomasi Municipal Chief Executive, Honorable Mohamed Sali Subamba, since his continuous presence as MCE, would exacerbate the already tense security situation in um, Adria. The military establishment reviewed the actions of the sections on the ground led by Lieutenant Martin Opoku Eduse for the inappropriate use of force and apply appropriate sanctions. The training of RECSEC, MUSEC, and DISEC officials in the Ashanti region in conflict and crisis management at the Ghana Armed Forces Command and Staff College at least once every year. The development of a joint standard operative procedure for military police operations, including roles for indispensable allied agencies like the National Fire Service, National Police, National Ambulance Service, etc. The National Commission for Civic Education should intensify its public education in relation to the rights obligations and civic responsibilities of the people of Idra and all crowd riot crisis control units be made to wear body cams and all, and all vehicles and mobile gadgets employed must also have cameras and the establishment of sports and recreational facilities in Idra under the Zongo Development Fund to re-channel the energies of the youth. For this discussion I've been joined by security analyst Emmanuel Kotin. Welcome. Thank you. We also Thank have um, Dr. Poku, Jones Opoku are still on, 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 on Zoom with us. Um, the Honorable Peter Lanchene Tobu is also still on, on with us. Franklin Kujo, Imani Africa is also on. And we still have um, lawyer Martin Pebu also in studio uh, with us. Uh, let me begin with uh, Martin okay. on, the, on this issue. Mm -hmm. uh, this was, this issue mainly was about, the riots is what brought it into the national yeah. limelight. And many have been anticipating the report after it was presenting in yeah. full disclosure. For many, it was either this was about um, state sanctioned violence against mm -hmm. this, the, the individual in question, Kaka, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or uh, what the conclusion of the committee seems to have been that this was a, a family feud, and then the recommendations. Uh, many people are questioning why the person in charge of the Ashanti Regional Security Council, the minister, mm -hmm. who directed the use of force on the ground. Looks like the report is silent in terms of the, the recommendations. But what will be your general thoughts on the recommendations and then the concerns that have arisen after that? Yes, so let's start with the regional minister. He's <laughs> the elephant in the room in the report yeah. when it comes to the recommendations. It's shocking that though the committee had the courage to say the district police commander be uh, re, re, transferred when it came to the regional minister, the committee was silent. Uh, I mean, it's they should have just gathered the courage to say the obvious, mm -hmm. and the obvious is that Mr. Semensa has to be sacked. Mm -hmm. There is no other way to look at this, he has to be sacked, he has to take the fall for it. Look, people have lost dear ones, others have been injured, serious life, permanent injuries for life. He has to be held accountable for it. He didn't do any proper due diligence. He just called in soldiers. No, look, listen, we will not take this from Mr. Semensa. He just has to either go or the president sacks him. Ah, I'm surprised that he's still at post. You know, when this thing came, he even went on justifying uh, his, uh, this, what do you call, his decision to call in the, uh, what do you call, the military. When you haven't exhausted the police uh, resources, 
that is why so today if you see me with this is here the second comment is that i've been reading coincidentally you know like i mean everyday court but you develop interest in some things when it comes to the police i've been reading some of the previous reports okay dating back from the colonial era to uh, Buzier's time, then you can PNDC, all the people they brought, okay, Justice Acha report, these are the things. And you see, crowd control, crowd control. Look, let's just bring one, one of them. Okay. And I'm like, ah, we've been at this thing even before more than 60 years, and we are still on it, and people are still dying. And every day we come, oh, yes, we want to do crowd control. Look, when Ryan came from England, oh, Deputy Chief Constable, made Anglia Constabulary, when he was brought, to come in, so the British man he came with his team, and then okay, during the Bujia regime, okay. So this was in the 1970, yes, 71. A survey of the Ghana Police Service, 1971. Look, it says, My terms of reference are supplied by the United Kingdom Overseas Development Administration, where to survey the Ghana Police Service and advise on its structure and effective organization as well as the modernization of its equipment, particularly for crowd control. control. Mm. So that's Ryan. There are other ones. Then there's the Archer report. Right, yeah. After following the IPS uh, incident and all that, Archer said, yes, they agree with what Ryan said about modernizing the police, making sure that we train them properly for crowd control. Okay? And other ones. You see the stadium disaster, the Okujeto report. report. I mean, ad nauseum. Too many reports. And every time we still kill people. So it tells you that we are not really doing it right. We are not really doing it right. The, the regional minister has justified his action on several, even before the committee indicated that as head of the regional security council, he acted based on intelligence available to him. You know, the committee said when they asked him, he didn't, of course, it's natural that in security people will quickly say, oh, I can't disclose my sources, otherwise very soon mm. my sources will be dry if he has to disclose everything. But you could see the committee was not impressed at all. The committee said that he had no basis for doing what he did, right? That's why I said Mr. Simmons just has to go. I know why usually in Ghana when it comes, you see, maybe we should repeat it more often for people to understand that General Ankara, mm -hmm. president of Ghana, he resigned over an allegation of, is it about $15,000? Yes, he resigned. So mm -hmm. since Ankara, if a head of state could leave on an allegation, I don't know why suddenly we've sunk so low, people just treat us with so much disdain. Public officers, you remember not too long ago, uh, health minister, eh? yeah. what he did, and he's still in office. Osei Mensa has done this, people have died, and he's still in office. Oh, come on. We've thrown governance to the dogs, eh? Yeah. But let's remind ourselves that, look, General Ankara, a head of state, resigned over an allegation of bribery that he had received about $15,000. I think if the figure is right, yeah. it wasn't more than $20,000. He resigned. So where is the honor? Where is the honor? It's public service by force. You are leading. You make terrible mistakes and citizens die, and then you still want to continue. Why? Is he the only one? Is Mr. Sir the only person who can serve as regional minister? Eh? And he, so he's become like Kwikwajima, uh, Menu. Eh? The same. It, it's just not good. It, the, these two events within this short time has just discredited our governance. It tells you that public officials want to hold on to power 
when they have lost all legitimacy, these two officers, health minister, regional minister, should be shown the exit door. At least let's restore some confidence in our governance structures. They are not the only people who can serve in these positions. There are thousands of Ghanaians better qualified. So it's surprising that His Excellency has left these things. And you know, when he does that, it erodes His Excellency's own legitimacy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe His Excellency has to be told. I don't know if his handlers are telling him this. But it erodes his own legitimacy because this is not what we were promised. I remember in opposition, and I voted for him. I was excited because that time, you know, the, when your mama in 2016, this, uh, you remember the Brazilian, the World Cup? Yeah, yes. Wanted him to sack a free anchor and all those things. He wasn't doing it. So oh, this man, no, he can't handle the job. Let's bring in a Kufuadu. Uh, MPP came and told us that, hey, the Kufuadu is ruthless. Look, governance, wow. You would see something <laughs> that you've never seen in Ghana. He's ruthless. He's no nonsense. Jesus Christ. It appears with hindsight, Mama is even better. So, so you would argue that the president should sack the minister? Oh, quick. There's no doubt about it. No hesitation no. at all. These two ministers. And his excellency has to watch that look. With due respect, after the presidency, you'll be a citizen. So when tomorrow he meets me, Martin Pebu, in the street, when he's no longer president, you should know that if these two ministers are not sacked, no, out of respect, I may greet him, but inside my heart, I would say this is a man who never led well. I mean, we have to be very honest with him because we have to be brutally frank. Okay. If we are not frank with him as citizens, then what else can we do? Yeah, so he will serve and finish out of respect in our Ghanaian society. We say, oh, yes, yeah, a former president. But no, within my heart, I would say, no, this man never led well. What is it? When you have thousands within his own party who can perform this job, and yet you are allowing these two people to give you such a bad name. You see, earlier on, was it one of the panelists mentioned it that um, leadership is everything? Yeah. yeah. His yeah, Excellency has to be told that these things that he's not stamping his foot is eroding his legitimacy. Okay. There are concerns about the, the, the DSP uh, should take to go to court to set aside the, 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 these adverse findings because it may even affect him, especially if he has a legitimate case to prove that he had handle these issues better and that the, the, the tag incompetent may even affect his career progression and all of that within the service. Uh, well, I really, look, sometimes let's just be honest. He's not the only one. Did you hear about what the uh, deputy regional commander said? Sorry. He said there were three previous occasions that the police had clashed with the uh, youth of Hedra. I know in Ghana we have a certain architecture. You know we have the Peace Council, even up to the district level. Mm -hmm. These are matters that have to be reported to the Peace Council so that they'll take steps. So as for the incompetence, there's enough to go around. I really don't fault the committee for it. Yeah, people, it's really a tall order. Okay. Because you see what happens that the committee looks at the facts and makes an opinion on it. Just as you know, citizens are not happy with the finding that the, uh, the, the, the death of Kaka was a family feud. You see, it's also clear to us that there is not enough basis for it because Kaka's mother was never, ne never testified. You haven't heard her version, okay? You haven't heard uh, Edith's own version, who is in custody. You see it. So that's the democracy. So when you go on such a matter, once there's some basis for 
the finding that the committee made is difficult when it comes to discretion. When you're appealing against somebody's discretion, usually in court, we say it, it, it's really slippery. Okay. Unless there was ev obvious evidence and then you don't act on it, it's ignored. But in this particular one, it's difficult. But as I said, so far, the deputy regional commander, he's the one I think, you see, but he did well. He said he accepts blame. Yes, because it's clear. As deputy Ashanti regional commander, I think that's a huge push. So he didn't think that he would call IG from Accra to bring reinforcement, the crowd control people. As I've said, look, from Ryan's report to Acha to Kudyetu Stadium, disaster report and the rest, when we've been preparing uh, policemen for crowd control, and this was the best time for us to showcase that we have learned over all these decades. And then you see the position that allowed the regional minister to say, bring in soldiers to brutalize citizens. So the deputy regional commander too has a lot to answer. Okay, let me bring in Mr. Cotton on this issue. Wow, it's a very difficult one. And very good morning to your cherished viewers and listeners alike. And those on Zoom, Martin was my colleague in school, so I'm happy to share the same platform with mm -hmm. you. Went to St. Charles and yeah. Minor Seminary yeah. in so, Tamale. Before the conflict, <laughs> the unfortunate conflict. So, you see, I was here when this issue came up, and sincerely, I blame the regional minister okay. for the actions he took, taking to recognition the Security Act he quoted that he relied upon. That Security Act if my friend will be mm. honest with mm. me and didn't mm. include him with that mm. power. Mm -hmm. And I think it's an unfortunate incident mm. which we, we must draw lessons from. The challenge I have is that we politicize every issue in this country. And because of the anger it took, you can be sure that if it is not bringing a political capital to the ruling government, they will also put in a particular posture. Okay. And Martin, you recall NDC even did a demonstration crying more than the bereaved. Mm -hmm. And you can expect that when this thing happened, the ruling party will not also go to bed. They will also do everything possible to remain relevant. Mm -hmm. And I think it goes to the fore of the Ghanaian society where we tend to politicize everything. I have been of the opinion that security issues are issues we cannot politicize. Having said that, I think the committee had a very difficult job to do given the time frame. And I'm not happy they left the elephant in the house, especially the regional minister. Having appeared before the committee in their recommendation, they were very silent on it. I was thinking that the committee will want to know on uh, how the decision to call for military intervention in Ejra was arrived at. Practically, they are rendering the police service uh, handicapped mm -hmm. as if they are not up to their tax. And, you know, and the appetite for us calling military at the least provocation, mm -hmm. I think, is another thing we have to look at. Mm -hmm. And if you recall, during but, but what the, accounts for that? Is it because of the. I mean, uh, Ms. Akobu alluded to. Uh, various reports. I was yeah. talking about the right, con the right mm -hmm. control and um, mm -hmm. capacity of, of, mm -hmm. of the police. Mm -hmm. Is the police that weak? And this is a question I'll be asking Mr. Tobu as well. I think Are they not trained adequately to be able to handle such situations 
or we don't have a police force that is or a police service that 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 will be capable of handling such volatile situations without having to bring in the army because the army is trained trained in a different different way different way i think if you look at our ghana police service now they seem to be catching the disease of inferiority complex when the military come in i I mean if you listen to the military commanders Mm. when they appear before the committee Mm. they indicated that Mm -hmm. when there's a joint operation the military that take charge and that is so wrong because uh, you see i quoted this philosopher some time ago here uh, adama Mm. when he said there's good reason we separate the military from the police Mm. whereas the one is trained to add, uh, to fight the enemy of the state, the other is trained to protect the people. Mm. So when the military becomes above, the people or the citizens become the enemy mm. of the yeah. state. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I think that we have to review our military police operations and make it human focused. They shouldn't allow the military to lead them. It's the job of the police, and they are only coming to assist. If you look at Operation Come Life, Operation COVID, and those things, I think it intimidates the mm. citizenry. Mm. And at the end of the day, because we politicize everything, it falls back to the mm. president. Mm-hmm. So I think we must take urgent step as a country to, to give our security establishment the independence they need. Okay. So that when these things happen, we know the order we can follow and if we have to put appropriate sanctions, we do. But if a, a security personnel goes to commit a crime, and now we have to blame the president for it, mm-hmm. that is when the politicization comes, mm-hmm. and everything is lost. So we need to draw some lessons. What are the lessons we can draw? And I have to be very quick on that. Mm-hmm. You see, there's technology. Okay. And RISEC... Uh, uh, the regional ministers being chairpersons mm-hmm. of uh, regional yeah. coordinating yeah. councils is no sacrosanct. Yeah. That is why we have the regional security heads mm-hmm. on the committee. Mm-hmm. They advise him. Mm-hmm. So uh, t- to the extent that you just pick intelligence and you give an order, mm-hmm. those things must be looked at. <laughs> The, the, the regional minister is a civilian. He shouldn't be able to give an order to the military or to the police because they are advising him. Based on evidence adduced, you take a particular course of action. And if that was done, I'm not sure the regional minister would have been in the picture to begin altogether. Okay, that would be calling for mm-hmm. a change in the, in, yes. in, the, in, the, in the whole structure of how things Precisely. are. Because he would argue that as the representative of the president mm-hmm. in the region, if there's anything, he would have to answer for mm-hmm. that. That will be the argument he, yes. he, so he will So even though he could make saying. that call, mm-hmm. but it will be based on the advice is. of yes. the security, yes. such that he will yes. be covered, yes. that when this thing happens, he can say that, look, I acted upon the advice of mm-hmm. A, B, or C. Yeah. Those are the things we are too quick to have the matureness when we get positions. The problem is that it's because the police are not independent. They are the uh, back and call of the executive. The regional minister in practice has more power than the police. We shouldn't be. To to be honest, our Ghana police service, we have to Mm. have a serious look at it again. Mm. Our mode of recruitment is very important Mm -hmm. because 
politicians can boast how many people they took yeah. there. So when they get there, their allegiance first is not to the state, mm -hmm. but the person who took them there. Mm -hmm. Go to the barracks today. It's an mm -hmm. open secret. Mm -hmm. You have NDC security personnel, yes. MPP security personnel. Mm -hmm. And this is a danger looming to fall on everybody's head. Mm. The second recommendation I think I will make is that, look, we have always known the hotspots in this country when it comes to violence. Mm -hmm. And we need to make sure that we are battle ready okay. by having logistics uh, uh, stationed close to these areas so that in an, in, in, in an event of any of those things, you can easily move in. In the Edra case, how many police personnel were caught? The water cannon they even had, there was no water in it. Yeah, understand. So practically, they had nothing to work with. So as mm. far as we are looking at the human factor, we have to look at the logistical aspect of it too, and we have to look at the military and mm. the police collaboration once mm. again. Mm. If it demands that we have legislations, fine. You know, the military have the police wing. They should be trained differently from the military, so that they could equally be human focus in nature, then they can easily collaborate with the, uh, 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 the police. Mm -hmm. The final one is youth unemployment. My brother, mm -hmm. we have to look at our educational system once again. I think that is the primary cause of youth unemployment mm -hmm. in this country. Look at Britain. Are they not our colonial masters? Why are their educational systems different from ours? There's a saying that picklets look at the pick and also learn how to, you know, grace. Is that not it? Yeah. So I think that it's not too late to begin. You see the middle school, O-level, A-level system, by before you come out, mm -hmm. you are trained, okay, mm -hmm. not to look at central government as your only source of employment. Our current educational system and the courses we run at our university levels, my brother, it teaches us to come out and wait for central government to employ us. So I think we need to look at the content of our educational system as well. Career fairs. Look, when I was in the UK, almost every two, three months, you have career fairs where you have counselors coming to talk to you about the kind of career you want to take. Mm -hmm. And they believe that it's not uh, uh, even passing. You have to have a certain char uh, character uh, uh, in you to be able to pursue same or certain skill set apart from what we are learning. Look at our universities for Christ's sake. We don't do these mm -hmm. things. And we churn out graduates who are half-baked mm -hmm. and they cannot fit into the job market. Mm -hmm. And I'm just afraid for our dear country that if care is not taken. In the next 20, 30 years, we will have human resource capacity challenge in this country that we have to look for mm -hmm. uh, uh, expatriates to come and fill such positions. Mm -hmm. And I don't think it is too late mm -hmm. to say that, look, we have experimented this. It has not helped us. Let's so take a step and take back and start the over. O and A level system. Exactly. It's, I don't think it is too late. Let us depoliticize education in this country. Let us depoliticize security in this country and see these key institutions as the bedrock of our growth and development in this country. Okay. Let me engage Superintendent Retatobu on this issue. Issue about police riot control and the relations between the military and police and how this played out in the Idra unrest situation. 
as against the report that has uh, been released, which essentially, I mean, indicts the district police commander, uh, uh, talks about the military, but is, is, is silent on the commander on the ground, as well as the regional security, uh, chairman of the regional security council. Thank you very much, Duke. Uh, let me say I'm so happy to have found that I'm sharing the same platform with Emmanuel Kutin and Lawyer Kwebu, of course. Um, I will want to provide a bit of education on police structure, but I also want to talk a bit about uh, security governance and accountability in this country. You know, the, the constitution structures our security setup in such a way that we have the national security architecture. We have the National Security Council, we have the regional security councils, we have the municipal and district security councils. These councils are headed by politicians and civilians. The fact that security is a shared responsibility means that men and women in uniform must collaborate with people who are not in uniform, that is the civilian population, for us to be able to provide that level of security that the country requires. So if you find a civilian who is heading the security council, for instance, uh, the regional minister is the head of the regional security council. That does not necessarily mean that the regional minister is the council. Mm -hmm. The regional minister is just the head of the team. But this team is made up of several components. Expertise are so loaded in these, in, 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 in these components, such that they advise the regional minister to take political decisions and make policy statements. The regional minister, under no circumstance, should drop down to the level of thinking about making administrative or operational or taking administrative or political administrative or operational decisions. So, if you do that, in fact, you are okay. Seems to have a challenge. Uh, making a good reducing point. your yes. own. Okay. Can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you. Yeah, you can. You can go on with the. The point about operational details being different from me being the head of the council. Exactly. So when yes. you find a regional minister as the head of the security council, what he's supposed to be doing is to be making political statements, taking political decisions, and making policy statements or taking policy decisions. But he's not supposed to do anything about administration and, and operation. That is the duty of the man and woman in uniform who serve as a special advisor in those areas. If you find a regional minister who thinks that information is equal to intelligence, it tells you that the system is rotten to the point that we don't understand where we are going. Mm -hmm. There's a difference between information and intelligence. Mm -hmm. The fact that you got a piece of information from EDRA doesn't mean that that is a piece of intelligence. It is for you to drop this piece of information to the people who matter, the police and the National Investigation Bureau and the military. They will analyze the piece of information and come back to you with conclusive evidence on, on, on the nature of intelligence, and they will advise you what steps they intend to take to deal with the situation. It is your job as a political head to give them a clean sheet and tell them to go ahead. You are telling them to go ahead because that is instructive on the fact that you have been advised and you've been briefed. You don't go on your own deploying the military. I'm so surprised that the regional minister is still in office, but what I am not also surprised because the president himself understands that if his role as a regional minister is supposed to be political and policy, and he allows him to be there, it means his own credibility as a president and chairman of the National Security Council is questioned. Let okay. Uh, uh, while he tries to police structure. get that. They talked about the fact okay. that they have no competence. Can you? 
fact that they talked about the, the, the district commander being incompetent, when I saw that aspect, I knew that, you see, if they had gotten a retired police officer or a retired soldier mm -hmm. as, as, as a member of the committee, that recommendation would never have come because mm -hmm. the, what is the position of the district commander in the police structure? Mm -hmm. The position of the district commander in the police structure is down there at the last command level. That from the police district commander, you go to a divisional commander and to the regional military. He doesn't have any power to bring in FPU. What he does is analyze the situation and submit an administrative report, mm -hmm. making recommendations as what needs to be done to ensure that Ejra remains peaceful. So if he has done that, it was not him who brought the military. It was not him who brought the FPU. And under police structure, the formed police unit was created to ensure that we go away with the use of life blood in managing public disorder. So when you have the formed police unit coming, the formed police unit is right under the regional commander. The regional commander deployed formed police unit headed by a senior police officer. Yeah. It is not the district commander's duty to command the formed police unit. That is absolutely wrong. The formed police unit is a specialized unit that is trained to deal with public disorder management. So they come in with that, with the, that level of high expertise, with the commander in charge. So when they get into Algeria, the senior police officer in charge of the formed police unit had the responsibility to ensure that he does what is required to diffuse tension and make sure that any disorder is managed professionally. So when you don't do that and you look at the district commander to be incompetent, what it means is that you don't understand the police structure mm -hmm. and you don't understand the role of the district commander. Mm -hmm. You've gone also further to say that the district commander do not, was not having enough equipment, he didn't have enough personnel, and there were so many things that could have supported him to be capable, and he lacked all that. In lacking all these things, we progress to declare him as incompetent. You see, all of us are beginning to suffer the inferiority complex that the police is incompetent. And I'm sure that the committee also suffered that inferiority complex because they think that after the police, the police is incompetent. And the more we have the military in internal security matters, we will dampen the spirit of the police and gradually we'll all conclude that the police is incompetent and we'll pay a price for okay. military doing police work. Military doing police work is just a disaster because the military is supposed to protect, in fact, and defend the country against any external aggression. It's a duty of the police to protect life and property. So when you find the military coming into the internal security space, protecting life and property. Okay, we'll have to take a break here. Uh, when we're back, we'll engage um, the other guests uh, on, on Zoom and try to find try to draw the key lessons that must be drawn from this from this Adria situation, especially the key uh, finding that this was caused by, the death was by family feud and not um, other related issues as earlier mentioned. We'll be back after the break. Stay with us. Welcome back. This is your favorite current affairs news analysis program, uh, The Big Issue. My name is Duke Pentopoko, sitting for a regular host, Kofred Akotobafu. So far, I've been discussing the findings and recommendations of the EJRA Committee report. That is the Justice Commission Ministerial Committee report. Um, it was released, uh, full disclosure published um, on Monday, and some of the major talking points is what we are discussing today, recommendations, um, the, the this, uh, dismissal or retransfer of... Um, some of the people involved, the district police commander, and of course the major one has been the compensation of the families, that, that is the families of the deceased, as well as 
other issues regarding the establishment of recreational facilities, the work of civic education, and, and then police, military, and civilian relations. That's also come up so far in the discussions uh, we've, we've had. I still have um, on Zoom, um, that is uh, Superintendent Retard Tobu, who was making the point about the need to allow the police to do their job when it comes to such matters. But uh, Mr. Imanokuting, uh, security analyst earlier, had indicated that the training of uh, the police itself and recruitment and, and, and other issues as well can be blamed in a way for the way they handle such volatile situations. Mm -hmm. Let's go back on Zoom now. Let me speak to uh, Dr. Jones Okokuai, uh, who lives in the Ashanti region. We uh, have witnessed at close hand what, has, what happened um, with regards to the committee's work and the general discussion in the area, and also what he makes of the report and the recommendations, as well as the conversation we've had so far. Dr. Pokoy. Okay, so thank you very much. Um, I've also been perusing the, the reports, and you know, I think that based on the findings and the kind of conclusions that the report came up, I mean, what I want to say that basically, if you look at what the committee said about the the likelihood or the probability in terms of the of the of the course of the of Kaka's death, I want to say that the committee left us with a whole forest that we have to go in to try to find out what really was the was the cause of the guy's death. And then we look at the terms of reference. Uh, the term of reference as one of them was to establish what really caused the death of Kaka. But if you look at the findings and the kind of statement that was made in relation to the findings that it probably may be a, a family feud. What it tells me is that the committee itself seems to suggest that they are not even sure whether um, um, the family feud is actually the cause. Meanwhile, um, the, 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 the terms of reference that you were given as a committee you know, suggested that you should be able to determine what probably or what actually caused the death of the guy. So for me, it, it leaves us with a lot of, you know, loopholes that we have to still have to battle out to really find out what really caused the guy's death. And now Martin was was trying to, you know, wrap his head around why we still have issues with crowd control um, when it comes to policing. And to be very honest with you, this is going to be a very long thing we have to grapple with because our politicians keep on tinkering with, with the security services uh, in terms of what they do. And if you look at the findings as it was established, as well, if you read that, read finding 21 to 23, which for me is the crux of the whole, you know, issues that was investigated. And everything seems to center around the role that the minister played. Okay. And for me, if we are to look at those three points, 21, 22, 23, it means, and I want to also, also add my voice to what Martin and, uh, and, and the other people have said, that look, we shouldn't be having the regional minister you know, at post, even as we, we, we talk, we should have, we should have sacked him. If I may, I would not even recommend that he, he resigns. He should have been sacked because if you look at what, for instance, 21 said, he said that the minister said that he was in Accra while he had information that something was happening in Nigeria and then he ordered the military. And now based on what he did, he said that he have used what we call a knee-jerk approach. And that knee-jerk approach actually escalated the situation on the ground. Okay, so if you 
have been given a certain information and you have taken certain decisions that have escalated the issues on the ground. And we are to we are to blame somebody and take you know corrective measures against the person who made the decision. Then why is the regional minister who is also the head of the RECS still opposed? Because ultimately it is his decision that escalated the situation based on the findings of the report. So for me, if you should have somebody that you know we have to really look at, that should be the actions and the inactions. Of, of the Ashanti regional minister, who, who was also the head of the Rexec. And for me, I would have thought that when he had that support form of uh, intelligence, as he claimed, the first point of call should have been the, the regional police, you know, command. Because for me, as I know, the police are normally responsible for dealing with such kind of, you know, citizens, you know, riots and, 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 and violence. You know, if you call the military, the military always operate with what in criminology we call the warrior mentality. So they will go and, and deal with anybody over there as, as, as somebody that they have to eliminate, okay, in a form of a warrior posture. So for me, that kind of decision-making, that kind of thinking by these politicians in the operations of our security services and the pension for them to always call in the military you know, coming from a psyche that, look, the Ghanaian can only be controlled with the, with the use of force. I think that is what we should, we should start dealing with and we should start finding solutions as a country. That, that psychology of our leaders that, look, when people are misbehaving, when there is an issue, instead of using civil processes, you know, embedded within the police service to deal with the people, let's use brute force. To, to, to meet up with those people. I think this is why we have this kind of situation. And most of the time, if you have looked at all the civil you know, processes and all the civil actions that have happened, where the military are involved, you always see that at the end, one person or two people or three people, at least we are likely to suffer some form of casualty. It is because the military are not trained to have a guardian mentality. They are only trained to have a warrior mentality. And until we stop involving them in this kind of, uh, you know, situation, as well, this civil kind of engagement, I'm, I'm sorry, we, we will continue to have this kind of issues on our hands. So for me, looking at the findings in 21 to 23 and how hard, you know, it indicted the, the regional minister, look, we shouldn't be talking about the regional minister being in position as an This man should, should actually... Be, be leaving his post but by now but you see I'm, I'm not surprised i mean this is this is ghana you understand where we think that we can use some of these reports to whitewash and you know to to cover you know certain politicians and the way they, because if you look at those in line that have been suggested for for certain punitive actions for me these are all the small flies who are in the chain that that basically are being sacrificed some way somehow so for me that is the problem, and 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 I think that we, we must find a way out of that kind of situation. Okay, and let me go to Franklin Kujo, um, who's been silent on this issue because he's not been given the opportunity to comment on the matter. Now, Franklin, you have your, your own thoughts on the, on the report. I mean, it looks like almost everybody on the panel so far uh, thinks that it's it's a travesty of justice for the regional minister not to have been mentioned so far on on, on the matter. What, what do you think about that and the deterioration nature of police, uh, military, and uh, civilian relations? My video seems to have a problem, but if you can hear me, I I'll hear just see and talk. So like uh, Dr. Pokowari um, uh, has also said, I, I, I you remember when we had this conversation a while back, I said the 
they had the the um, what's it called? The when the regional minister admitted that he was in charge and did all that he did, which escalated the issue. For me, I said that that particular uh, acceptance should have uh, probably ended the committee's report. Sorry, the com committee's inquiry because he was the number one person whose actions clearly escalated the matter. Uh, and so I also admit that he should really have been cited for uh, the sack, and not and nothing really have been mentioned has been mentioned about him. That's that's sad. The other question I have though is that when the committee says that they 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 most likely believe that the the carcass death was as a result of a family feud. Are they suggesting that that is what the police has concluded it to be? Because as I understand, the matter is before the court, right? It's still in court. Mm. Still in court. Could it be the reason why they've, they've not been able to make a determinate, you know, definitive, come to that definitive conclusion? They probably should have said so. But to suggest that, well, it's probably because of a family feud, because of the persons who have been picked up, uh, again, leaves us... <laughs> As Dr. Upokowaria said, leaves us all at sea. Mm -hmm. I so for me, these two issues actually stand out. It's, it's, it's inconclusive, and I think the committee probably should be serving as an addendum as to why these two major issues have not been resolved. That's all I'll leave with that. Uh, but I find the the suggestion or the recommendation of the, the Zongo Fund being. Um, probably redirected to create recreational facilities for the people. Quite amusing as well. Um, Why rather, so? To reach uh, out the energies of the, the, the youth. That's a justification for that. It's the last point. And, and, and Mr. Cotin raised the issue about youth, youth unemployment and having... Giving the avenues to engage... Giving avenues to the youth to engage their... Uh, to, to, to liberate their energies, for want of a better word. Well, I find it quite amusing that the uh, reasons for being suggested is because they are not engaging in a very meaningful recreational facility. I'd rather yield with um, Mr. Kutin's uh, point, yield to Mr. Kutin's point about unemployment. Um, it is not the lack of recreational facilities that get people angry when a regional minister commands that military go and deal with people ruthlessly. I don't, I don't see the connection at all. Okay. But as it were, well, that's the committee's report, and they said they were the standby rate. Okay, let me come back in studio and uh, engage, mm, yes, okay. engage uh, Mr. Mr. Martin Pebu. Yeah, on 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 the point about it being caused by a family feud and mm. not uh, yeah. other matters that because of his social activism mm. and and um, what was reported at the beginning of the very at the very beginning of the incident what mm. what sparked all the protests and, and 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 the unrest looking at the findings of the the findings and recommendations of the committee can that in any way influence the criminal investigations that are currently ongoing to some extent, okay. okay, to some extent, but it's not going to be determinative of the criminal trial, not at all, because as I mentioned earlier, remember, Edi, the uh, suspect, didn't testify as whether he had a feud with Kaka. His mother, too, didn't testify. 
So the committee based their finding on the uh, uh, evidence that was uh, this was made available to them. But this does not uh, determine the criminal matter. So remember, in, in the criminal matter, so let's explain this. Mm -hmm. In law, this committee does that. The standard that you're using is what we call in the civil cases, balance of probability. Okay. That's why you heard the committee say that it's more probable that it was as a result of a family feud. More probable. That's the standard. But in the criminal case in court, they, we use what we call proof beyond reasonable doubt. So, so far, what has been given cannot be used to uh, convict ED at all. It doesn't come near. It doesn't come near. It's a separate standard, okay? It's a higher threshold. And so the court will deal with that, you know? So let's grant Idi his day in court and the two other uh, suspects. Suspect, yeah. Yes, let, let, let's see how that goes. You know, sometimes this is it, it, it's surprising. We never finish it. Eh? Mm. We never finish dealing with them. But as citizens, I think we have to ask for more accountability, ask for more, okay, from the duty bearers because we put them in charge and we expect that they should improve our governance improve the the way things are done otherwise it means that we are just not making progress at all because you see there's a part of the committee and please also for the avoidance yeah. of that you know the committee made a finding that the uh, what do you call it the stones and the rest that were thrown by the protesters mm. was not sufficient for what the military did Yes, it's there, express. Yeah. It's there, express. So please, let's watch it. For you to kill a human being, you just don't, so like, a slap quitting, touch wood, and then just based on that, he takes hold of me and hits me to the ground to death. It's disproportionate. Mm, yes. Disproportionate. And let's also remember, and this is very key from the findings, that the people were at least 100 and... Uh, 50 meters away. Let me see some of the pages because it's good for us. Yes, reading through outside of town when it was released, but yes, and I went through. They said 150 meters away. Which page is that? So somebody is 150 meters away and you are shooting at him. Mm. It was unnecessary and shot at the back. So these are people fleeing. Mm. A man who is fleeing, he's 150 meters away from you, ahead of you. What are you shooting to do? Trigger happy. And we are quiet as citizens. Yes, page 26. He, Lieutenant Eduse, confirmed. He, Eduse, who was the field commander, let me call it on the field, confirmed crowd was about 150 meters away at the time he and his men were discharging. So let's go. We can probably check again and read yes. from that page 26 of the report. We can double check. At least that's a note yeah. I made. 150 meters away, please. Can we, I mean, let that sink for a moment. 150 mm -hmm. meters mm -hmm. away. Close range. No, I mean, far, far away, away now. That man is fled. He's running now. Yeah. 150. Obviously because of the warrior mentality. Yes. <laughs> so these are just trigger happy and we have left. Yeah. I mean, come on. 150. Please, let's picture. 100 meters away plus another yeah. 50. So they were gone. Yeah. And then you stand and then you shoot at them. Mm -hmm. Said at the time they were discharging. Please look for a moment. I think that just grant me if we can just read a bit from that page so that we'll be sure that look, this is what our soldiers have done to us. Okay. The fact that you have a war mentality, does that mean that you can just get up and then just use the guns anyhow? 
I mean, come on, we, we can't allow this to remain in this society. It shows that we are just barbaric. What kind of training are we giving these soldiers? Yeah. So okay. maybe I can let us have right. so to get in there. Final comments, just about 10 minutes. All right. So, um, so just, just give you about two, I, I three don't know if government has issue. issued a mm -hmm. white paper report yeah. on the commission's report. I so think it's a ministerial committee. So the, so the, government minister, is the minister would have to. Two. And that has not been done. Mm -hmm. So let's hold our guns and see what actions they will take as a result of that. Because the minister can accept or reject okay. the commission's report. But um, if re reference to what my brother, who is now in the MP, the Honorable MP said about information not being equal mm -hmm. to intelligence, I think it's very key. Yeah. And we have to look at how we can rekindle the relationship between our security services and the citizenry. It's key intelligence gathering. Without that kind of cooperation, you can't get the intelligence anywhere. And I think also that if we have to go by what we are currently experiencing, because the police have reneged on uh, their civil responsibility as a result of inferiority complex or whatever, and we need to still maintain the status quo of the military and police collaboration, I think training should be given so that it is human-focused. And they should not be allowed to use live bullets. Okay. They should use rubber bullets. There could be a mixture in the extreme when circumstances they, they, they don't they use. Another thing that came to the fore, my brother, is the assertion they have always placed on the police, that they place evidence on people and get them arrested. Mm -hmm. It came clearly at the commission's uh, sitting when the deputy regional uh, uh, commander uh, presented some docket alluding to the fact that they were there on the 28th was in actual fact on the docket it was 30th. It clearly means he lied before the commission. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And if it was a parliamentary commission or a national committee backed by law to the status of the high court, that would have amounted to perjury. Mm -hmm. And these people would have been found wanton. Mm -hmm. So because that committee, did, uh, the commission didn't have that power, people came before the commission and they were economical with the truth. And look, lawyer, this game is about evidence. Mm -hmm. And you realize that the very individual who held the key to the assertion that it was a state-sponsored violence against the individual. Mm -hmm. When he appeared before the, commis uh, the, the commission, he was very economical mm -hmm. with the mm -hmm. truth. So he left the commission with no choice than to doubt his uh, uh, mm -hmm. evidence. Mm -hmm. And in criminal jurisprudence, you have to prove beyond reasonable doubt. When there's an element of doubt, the evidence is thrown away. Mm -hmm. And to be fair, that was why the commission came out with the kind of reports they did. Where I disagree with them is how they were silent with the regional minister. Mm -hmm. And I want to plead with my people, especially I'm from the north, mm -hmm. and I know Edra, the area distant happen is mm -hmm. northern dominated. Mm -hmm. Let us don't allow ourselves to be vehicles of violence when people can come and mobilize us and use us for violence. I think it's for good reasons we migrated from our place to Edra for economic reason. Let's focus on that 
And more often than not, we don't take the laws into our own hands. And I want to plead with the family. Any debt is a painful debt. No, no amount of compensation will bring these innocent souls back. So if the family comes out to say they are not accepting any compensation from the government, government will say, hooray. Tomorrow, can you blame government that government didn't offer anything? So I think that what they are looking for is life compensation. And we have to go to our legal regimes. Things of this nature have happened in the past. There have always been a lump sum payment. Mm -hmm. There have never been an arrangement where mm -hmm. it's a lifetime distance from Major Mahama and whatever. Even Asawasi, yeah. where mm -hmm. people died, it was a lump sum the mm -hmm. government paid. So I'm pleading with them that they shouldn't allow politicians to influence their thoughts where they'll come up and take some knee-jerk reactions and at the end of the day, they'll be the losers. Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, Dr. Fukuai, your concluding remarks on this issue. Yes. Um, I think that looking at um, the findings, I mean, I still want to maintain that, you know, we will still need further investigations, you know, to be able to get justice for Kaka. And the families of uh, of of the the guy, because you know all too common in this country, we have these things happening over and over again, and because we are not able to exact accountability from decision makers, at the end you don't seem to get justice for for the victims and their families. So for me, I think that we shouldn't just end it. We should pursue the criminal aspects, and I, I also want to suggest that you know sometimes. We must subject uh, some of our, our leaders and our decision makers to civil processes, you know, and also criminal processes in such kind of matters, you know. But that way, we can be able to exact the accountability we want, even if the politicians decide not to pursue mm -hmm. it. Okay, so for me, that these are the things I'm looking at. Now, when it comes to the issues of crowd control, you know, the police must must be you know, allowed to do some of these things. And they must look at how crowd is managed. You know, in crowd management, there are three areas. We have the beginning, the middle, and the end. They must not always look at the end of the of the crowd. They must also always look at the beginning, how it starts, and now as it forms and as it's going. And then to be able to get the intelligence and the information that they need to be able to manage the crowd. They should not always look at the end. Because always when you look at the end, you are more likely to see those who are part of the crowd as 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 violent or as as threats than than as people that you can always work with. So these are my my, okay. my issues, and I think that we must work towards them. Franklin, just about a minute uh, concluding remarks, and then we wrap it all up here with some messages. Well, I, I guess I guess the most important thing is that the persons who have been maimed and killed are taken care of. Um, that for me, it would be consoling. Uh, and then also we need to see the regional minister actually sacked. Okay. Okay, so uh, I just wanted to read out that portion so that this will stick with us. So page 26, it says, they were talking about Lieutenant Edusei, yeah. says, in answer to another question from the committee, he confirmed that the crowd were about 150 meters from where he and his men were at the time they were discharging their weapons. See, and then the medical doctor confirms that these people were shot from the back. People were far off, running away. And you remember Erasmus, as I don't call, also said it, that the crowd was more than 100 meters away. Please, this should stick with us, so that based upon that, we should be asking Lieutenant Dusser and his men to be uh, court-martialed. 
Okay, and that's how we wrap up uh, today's edition of the Big Issue. My name is Duke Ben Sopoko. I sat in for a regular host, Godfrey Akoto Boafo. I had in studio for this discussion, Emmanuel Kutin, security analyst, uh, Mr. Martin Pebu, private legal practitioner, executive director of the Human Rights and Governance Center. Dr. John Sopoko is a crime researcher and criminologist at the KNUST. And um, Franklin Kujo, uh, founding president, Imani Africa. Keep watching CTTV for the very best in programming. Thank <laughs> you.